What's up, everybody? Oh my goodness, what is this? Are we back? It's the Super Movie Bros. Da -da 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 -da. Hey, Super Movie Bros. <laughs> What's up, everyone? It's been a minute, but we're so happy to be back here. You got myself, Renee, Loki Geek, and Blake the Wolf back for another episode of Movie Time. What's going on, dude? Renee? Uh, yes, sir. I just found out that um, if I uh, have sex, then I will die. So I'm really having a tough oh, time. Okay. That reference will make sense as we talk more about Bo is Afraid. That's not a spoiler for the record. No, um, it's, but it's yeah, I'm, I'm having a really tough day. Um, my day isn't as bad as Bo's, and I'm uh, very excited to get into this. Uh, I know that we uh, we we often like talk about what we've seen, but it's been a mm -hmm. minute too. So, are you re are you ready to get into all that? Yeah, no, it, it has been a minute. Uh, we, you know, scheduling all that kind of stuff like that, and and it's sometimes it's it's just good also to take a break um, to you know get things revved up again, you know, get the creative juices flowing and all that stuff like that. And plus, I, I feel like the last couple of weeks there weren't any really movies that you know you and I would have been really that happy to talk about i mean we talk about anything but i felt like Bo is afraid is that perfect movie and one yes. of the reasons why we started doing this in the first place and to have those type of conversations about movies and go in as in depth uh, in it as we can um without you know spending four to five hours talking about it uh because this is one of those movies where you could easily do that I mean, Ari Aster's movies, I think any one of his movies, you could easily do that. And I think what makes this great is that, one, this is another Ari Aster movie. And two, this is your very first Ari Aster movie. And I think that it would be really, really fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I'm curious how this has opened up your mind to the world that is Ari Aster and the A24 movies that he's put together. So we'll talk about all that stuff and, and, and so much more. But before we get into all of that stuff, as always, what are you doing here? Well, you're watching us. That's what you're doing. We are the Movie to Bros Movie Time podcast, where it's like a movie review podcast. We normally do this every week, but we did take a little break. And I think now as we go into the summer movie season, you're going to be seeing us a lot more frequently as always. Um, and we get together two guys just talk about movies and all that stuff. If you are brand new to this whole channel and you like seeing what you see so far and you want to see more of these beautiful faces, then all you got to do is subscribe if you haven't done so yet. Don't forget, hit that like button because that really does help uh, with the YouTube algorithms and get people interested in seeing this type of content and yourself seeing more of this type of content. Hit that notification bell so you get notified every time a new video is uploaded onto the channel. If you want Loki Geek on the go, you can listen to Movie Time on the toilet, in the gym, while you're driving in your car, then just check out the Loki Geek channel on your podcast platform of choice where you can download this and many other episodes for your listening pleasure. Also, lastly, if you are in a position to help support the channel and help the channel grow, definitely check out the affiliates that we have in the description of this episode. I partnered up with some cool companies where maybe you could find something cool for yourself or for a loved one. And by participating, you will be helping support this channel at no additional cost to you. Um, spring is in the air. People are looking for things to do outside, maybe new date, you know, night ideas and all that. 
definitely check out Fever Events because they got some interesting things maybe in your city right now that you could check out. Um, it's something pop culture related or something, you know, different for a date uh, idea and all that, that, you know, maybe the person you are taking a date on uh, will really appreciate and all that. So with all that being said, now, normally I would say let's catch up, but it's been like three weeks, I believe, three, three or more. And uh, we could well, save that the, for the reason. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I had to take off because two weeks ago we were going to do an episode. And um, but then I locked my I left my keys in the door. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? And then I left my luggage out there. Uh-huh. And then I took some medicine that I had to get some water for. And I had to go get sure. back and get the floss. And the next thing I knew, my luggage and keys were stolen. Okay. And is that an excuse or is it not? We're going to get into it because we're talking about Bo is Afraid today. We were supposed sure. to about super mario bros but thank goodness we skipped that one because uh we're not let's not i I would rather not talk about it (laughs) it was fun i had a fun time um no yeah i I, i'd rather talk about how to blow up a pipeline i know we're not getting into it i'm not gonna get into it fucking love that movie it's a blake movie i like the politics of it i like the tension i like anxiety movies Mm -hmm. it was cool so we're basically caught up at that point and that i am just knee deep in succession the tv show being back oh, I listen to like eight okay. podcasts a week about that so that's 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 all i've been up to nothing else literally nothing okay yeah that's cool um yeah i mean i've seen all like the the major movies in the last couple of weeks you know i love mario brothers you know even though the story itself was just very generic but hey if you're a nintendo fan and you grew up with that stuff that was the perfect movie for you I wasn't mad about it. Let me be clear. It was just yeah. like nothing to really get into, but yeah. it was cool. A lot of fun references. So yeah. many references. Like that's it's that's one of those movies where you'd be like, oh, I remember that. I remember playing that. I remember that character. All that stuff. You know, it's one of those type of fun movies. You go to the Rolling Stones concert. You want to see satisfaction, and it they yep. give you satisfaction. You feel satisfaction. It's hard to be mad about. I get that. No. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the one movie I will say that I did see that uh, is not out yet is Sisu. I was able to see Sisu, which is, and I don't know if you know about this movie. It is, let's imagine. Oh, you saw that. Okay. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. It's it's a, kind of like a John Wick from Finland um, that takes place in uh, World War II. And Wow. Some of those scenes that they had was just freaking mind blowing. Um, it, it's nice to see, you know, every year I try to expand my horizons and see movies from like other countries. You know, I think last year we were kind of spoiled with uh, RRR. Um, so what's going to be like that equivalent this year? I don't know if Sisu is going to be that, but so far Sisu is definitely high on my list as far as outstanding foreign movies um, that I had a chance to see this year. So, yeah, definitely check that out once it comes out, because I think uh, you and I will have a fun conversation about that. But Bo is Afraid is one of those movies that, again, it it garners and kind of demands a discussion after you watch it, because there's so much happening in this movie. And like I said, Ari Aster, he is kind of like the king of right now, the king of movies that, you know, kind of garner these type of discussions after you watch it. Um, he, you know, for a guy who's only done three movies, uh, all mainly with A24, I feel like he is the director that has defined A24 to this point. And mm-hmm. this is definitely Whoa. one of those movies 
Well, you could you could make an argument no, that the I, Daniels I did, did so last year. Um, Redefined in a way, so. but yeah, no, he's right. He's, gonna be, he's their biggest hit maker, essentially, like yeah, more or less, like yeah. And then there's people who will do one with him and then move on. So right, I, I actually don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, and then there's others like that have a couple, but three. You're starting to yeah, you make he's made a name for himself over there. Yeah, no, for sure. And they're giving him at this point carte blanche. And I feel like, you know, again, because of how popular Hereditary and Midsommar was, why not? You know, I mean, let's get, let this guy do what he wants to do. And this movie, he really went all out. And I feel like this is definitely out of the three, his most ambitious yet. It's it's when I kind of uh, left my mini review on Letterboxd. I said this is Ari Aster being really full on Ari Aster, and it is one of those things where, from start to finish, you are questioning everything you just saw. You know, it's just one of those things where what's real, what's not real. You know, it it, it the best way to describe it to someone who hasn't seen it yet is it it, it kind of is like a fever dream of someone who is suffering from all tons of paranoia, anxiety. Um, with a little bit of like an Oedipus complex, right? So it's it's seeing into the mind and the lens of a person, an individual who has all of these things going on for them. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like Alice through the looking glass where you really don't know what's real, what's not real, what's imagination, what is a fragment or figmentation of his mind, you know, kind of putting all of these things in front of you. Um, so as an audience member, you are taking on a long ride in this journey, um, which some would probably compare it to certain parts of being like John Mal- being John Malkovich. I heard someone said that there are parts of it, especially the, towards the end, and we won't spoil things just yet, but towards the end where it was kind of like Truman Show, like, you know, where there's like kind of like a realization mm-hmm. of things, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of coming to bear to to bear with that, all that. So it, it is definitely one of those thinking type of movies. Um, but the one thing I will say is, hands down, the performances were fantastic. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix was just really, really good throughout this whole movie. I mean, I, I guess he's pretty good at playing kind of psychotic, not psychotic, but you know, a person with, you know, certain mental issues and kind of having to have to deal with it and you know, work things out throughout the movie. Uh, I think he's really good that, at that. It was great to see Parker Posey again. We haven't seen her in a hot minute, you know, and she has one oh. of those faces that when she pops up on screen, I'm like, wait a minute, is that Parker Posey? And I was like, yeah, that's Parker Posey. Uh, Patty Lapone, who plays the mm. mom. Oh, mm. so wow. damn good. Especially if you were like a Broadway person, which I know you are, Blake. I'm sure just seeing her on screen was just fantastic for you, right? You haven't seen Parker Posey in a while. I saw her one month ago. Um, on Broadway. Uh, oh, no, okay. Being, uh, it was called Seagull. Uh, it was a version of Seagull, Chekhov, mm-hmm. and then, um, but it was Seagull slash Woodstock, New York. I was very, like, it was a small theater, like four rows back um, yeah. in the round, and she's walking by me for a moment, and she is nice. Let's just say a lifelong um, fascination of mine, a crush. Sure. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah, just huge fan of her whole body of work. And so seeing her live was cool. Seeing her in this movie was special because she's done some big movies and she's got some like Josie and the Pussycats and like every now and then she'll mm-hmm. do like more bigger, like schlockier roles or whatever in some comedies. But um, Hunger Games is another one I'm thinking of. Sure. But other than that, like 
I just can't get enough. I want her to be the main star of just about anything. And <laughs> she never she never is. So seeing her have like it was a small part, but seeing her just come in and hit a home run off the bench yeah. was great. And then Patty Lapone, I saw her twice last year on Broadway uh, doing company. And it was my first time seeing her. Um, so that was a bucket list uh, check off there for sure. Um, seeing her perform Sondheim was special. Seeing her in this movie. A lot of Broadway people don't translate as well, especially if they're song and dance folks. Mm. Um, they don't translate as well to movies. This was a very good part for a diva. And especially oh, yeah. someone with her look, her ability to do the dramatic roles. And oof, the casting here was special. And we'll, mm. we have we have plenty to get into. Yeah. Um, while, while, while we're talking the movie comparisons, um, especially if someone's just coming in here like, I love this movie, I want to hear more about it. Yeah. A couple others I'm thinking of are Mother, the Aronofsky movie, oh, which is essentially call. like a psychological yeah. horror art house, highly metaphorical, super intense, but not horror in the like monsters jumping at you way. Yeah. Or like someone's going through some shit and having the worst day ever kind of thing. And then things happen. Yeah. You're like, is that real? Is it not? Uh, mindfuck stuff. And then I'm also thinking of there's a lot of movies that are like it gets close in either the mindfuck kind of way or the tension, like in a way um, Yorgos Lanthimos gets into this world of tension and dissonance and anxiety to where mm. you feel it with like uh, the lobster um, where things mm. are happening and it's not quite sure what's real. Synecdoche, New York is one. Um, the Kaufman movie uh, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. Um Shiva Baby is just like an anxiety, hardcore Jewish family dynamic movie. And then yeah. we're also like anything else. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? It's just because it's an odyssey. And this movie is an odyssey for sure. Mm. But it does in its trippy at parts and dreamlike in parts. But they're very, these are all mostly movies that are just kind of close or like they have an aspect or element. There's nothing like this movie. No. Um, yeah. It is definitely the one you talk about afterward. I'm glad I saw it with a good buddy. Um, who's worked behind the scenes on movies and we see movies together we talk about him this one was like we're standing outside of his subway station for about an hour and a half because we can't yep. stop i can imagine about oh, the yeah. movie mm -hmm. and that's why i'm glad that we do this you and i because this is yeah. where we really get to flesh it out yeah no like i said this is the reason why we started doing this and you know it, it's to have these conversations with movies just like this um but you know to, let's i guess let's start off with um since i have seen Ari Aster's line of work with Hereditary and Midsommar. I, I want to kind of like put it into perspective for those who maybe are familiar with those movies and haven't seen this movie yet. You know, you had um, Hereditary, which was basically a full-on horror movie. I, I would say that hands down. Is Even the director said like, that in an interview. Yeah. He's like, he doesn't like to do to pigeonhole himself, and he says he's a genre filmmaker, but he's like, that one was his horror movie for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with Midsommar... I see that now I know he kind of wants to call it a comedy, like a horror comedy. Mm -hmm. I see it more as like a psychological thriller that has some sort of comedic elements. If you look at it as far as the lens through society like that. So I could kind of see how that could be kind of tongue in cheek sometimes. But I do see it as more like psycho thriller kind of type of movie. Uh, this movie. Now, it's funny. It's categorized online as horror comedy. Hmm. I don't I don't really consider this to be horror as far as the generic term of horror. You know, as far as if you right. think of horror, you think of like these are the movies you think about horror. Right. But it is pretty horrific in 
the mind of a person who is seeing and experiencing a lot of these things, you know, like, so in that sense, that is pretty horrific. Um, comedy, there definitely is some stuff that you chuckle at and you kind of laugh at because it's really more about the absurdity of what's happening, you know, and it's, and I think it's something like we kind of said before where sometimes things are so absurd and over the top that you can't help but laugh at it. And I feel like that's happened a lot throughout this movie where there were just so many absurd things that were happening over the top stuff, things that you couldn't believe that you're watching or this could be real, that at times you laugh at it, you know, and it's just one of those things. Um, So if you're looking at as far as like the comparison to his line of work, that's kind of where I would put this movie. This is definitely one of the more... This is a long movie of his. It's like clocking just a minute shy under three hours, mm. um, which, you know, I will say that at times it did feel long. Um, and, I, and I'll get into where I felt it was very long. Yeah. And basically, without spoiling anything, it's there's a part in the movie where he kind of goes through a, an alternate life of his <laughs> in, the, in the forest uh, in the forest yes yeah. yeah and i felt like that was i was surprised with how long that was and it, it's almost like a separate movie in its own you know it's like if you were to do like a short story that felt like a short story within a movie you know which was very interesting it's like very folky very like um like like a greek tale kind of thing like that um but yeah there's a lot of things that you can dissect in this movie and, you know, I, I, I mentioned the acting and I thought the acting was brilliant. I have to talk about really quick um, Ari Aster's directing because he does have and I, I'll be very interested to hear what your thoughts are. He definitely has his own signature on how he does things, the way that he kind of frames shots, the way how he likes to pan from far to near, to close and vice versa, how he likes to put his subject in a very tight spot and there are so many things that are happening behind them or around them um, without really calling it out. I love how he does those things because it, it helps create the tension, you know, like because it, it in when it comes to like, even though this is not a, really a horror movie to the, 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 the main dictionary term of horror, the things that make horror movies great is not knowing what to expect. Like, is something going to come out of that window? Is something going to come out of that door? Is something going to come around that corner? And you kind of have, like, that anticipation. He builds those anticipation with his shots, even though maybe something, maybe nothing happens. But as an audience member, you can't help but be like, wait a minute. Is something about to happen right now that is going to, like, freak me the, the fuck out or whatever? He has great, he, he does a great job at, like, framing these shots to build that tension. And that's in built on that suspense and all that. Um, and you do see that a lot in his last two movies. There are a lot of comparisons that you could draw from Hereditary and Midsommar that you could see in this movie too, where he kind of like, kind of not reuses it, but re, re, um, he re-envisions a lot of the shots that he did in his previous movies in certain shots that he does in this movie. Um, so as a fan of his, I was able to call out a lot of things, you know, I was just like, oh, wow, that reminds me very much of Hereditary or, oh, wow, that reminds me very much of Midsommar. Um, so again, he does have a signature like all directors do, you know, and, but it's one of those things that I really, truly appreciate because, you know, at the end of the day, this is very much an art house film. You know, this is like a true sense of art house. 
And when I say like A24 has that signature styling of art house, this is a, a fine definition of that. And when I said that Ari Aster is kind of like the defined director and vision of what A24 embodies, you see that a lot throughout this film and a lot of his previous movies. So I, I, I want to ask you, as far as someone who's never been exposed to his line of work, how did you feel his directing was, you know, the shots, the the editing, all that stuff mixed in with obviously the performances throughout. So the, the quick backstory is I don't really do horror movies. Yeah. And so when Hereditary is the big one early on, I was like, okay, this is not going to be one of my filmmakers and all my sure. art house love and film bros that I have similar conversations as you with are going, no, it's worth it. And I'm going, it's not because I might not be able to sleep afterward. Right. I might have a panic attack. Right. No, thank you, sir. To I this day, to making... yeah, to this yeah. day, I will, I still would say that it will still cause you problems if you were to watch it today. What about Midsommar? Same? No, that I feel like now that you've seen this, I feel like Midsommar okay. would be a little bit easier for you to stomach for sure. So the, and then the other weird thing is there's some movies that aren't horror movies at all that still fuck me up pretty good. So it really is pretty hit or miss. It's just that it's a safer bet that if it is in that horror e genre, that it's more likely to mess me up. So um, I went into this one, took a little clonopin. Thank you. Uh, the modern <laughs> pharmacy. Um, I'm not sure if Patty Lapone's character is the one responsible for creating these drugs or right. how it works. But um, I did that for multiple reasons, um, including... You said the movie was long. It, I've been alive and experiencing anxiety every day for 35 plus years. So I'm pretty sure three hours is fine, Renee. Um, I'm not saying, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that it, it was long, excruciating long. I'm just saying like there were parts that felt that made me it drags, like, whoa. Kind of dragged a little or it yeah. was even like a different tone. So I, I know what you're yeah. saying. I, I felt yeah. that where I was like, the link is currently exhibiting itself. Uh, I wasn't mad yeah. about it. And I do like uh, an uncut gems or a good time Safety brothers movie. I'm like really enjoy anxiety movies, yeah. which is weird, but to me it's very cathartic. Mm. Whereas ones that increase the anxiety uh, because of horror or whatever, like those where um, I just, I can't, I've lost a lot of sleep in my life because yeah. of the movie, the ring just saw it one time. Ugh. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> So with that said, I put off Ari Aster's films and then for Midsommar, I read the description and the imagery in that movie, to my understanding, and based on the plot on Wikipedia, was like, oh, I never want to have that image in my eyeballs when I'm trying to get to sleep. <laughs> uh, that said, I'm going to watch Midsommar. Hereditary might be one I skip because it is more yeah. of a horror genre. But then after Midsommar... I'm also, as I've gotten older, it's become more comfortable for me. And as I've gotten, I've built some tricks, like folks go to therapy. If you're Bo, definitely go find a new therapist. Um, sure. yep. And then start going to therapy again. Um, but I've definitely gotten some tricks to where I can distance myself from it and remind myself it's a movie and look at the edges of the screen and like put myself in the room, do some basic like sensory stuff and be like, okay, this is not actually happening. And that helps a lot. So over time, I've actually gotten better at him, and I've seen some. Get Out was kind of a pivotal one where I know it's not horror, 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 but yeah. it's one that maybe would have messed me up before. And I, it was so important, so zeitgeisty. I had to go see it, loved it, saw it multiple times. Um, yeah. 
So that's kind of my relationship to horror. To answer your question on this director, holy shit, this is an auteur. Early oh, yeah. on, um, I have this bad habit, and I, I'm good with my phone in the theater. It's silent, the, the brightness on low. But to let people know what I'm up to, I'll take a little picture of the screen and then put it on Instagram. Yeah. And be like, Bo is afraid. Um, I, there were three I've seen, I've seen you do me. that. I've seen you yeah. do that multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this one was interesting because um, depending on the movie or whatever, like I, I'm a little bit artful about it. So I'm like taking a, a picture. I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually a good boomerang because everything is symmetrical and kind yeah. of happening repeatedly. There were three different ones. Next thing I knew, I was like, oh, should I just put three Instagram stories? Because they were all so overwhelming and how beautiful they were. And the like the way the things are happening on the screen. Yeah. Evoking what the character is feeling, uh, demonstrating action, uh, advancing the plot, and just the the, the French term mise-en-scene. Uh, if anyone's been Ooh. in film school, uh, mise-en-scene. The, um, Ooh, la, what's la. on the screen, the way that the objects are arranged on the screen. Uh fucking phenomenal right right so i was all about that and it kind of reminds me of i think there's a few like anxiety filmmakers who are really good at art house cinema and these kind of bigger movies um, mm -hmm. that make you feel intensely so like yoros lanthimos safety brothers and i'm gonna put yeah. ari aster on that list of like these are modern highest level crafts people you, you that around i was blown away by the the direction of this movie for sure no, I'm, I'm that makes me really happy to hear because I, I always felt like Ari Aster would, would be a director you would appreciate because of you know the artur that he is. And I know you appreciate films like that, but the subject matter is always the thing that kind of was that barrier, right? Right now, well, I, like I, I saw it, Shining eventually because it's Kubrick, and to me, Kubrick is kind sure. of like you know the number one dude for that, or Hitchcock. I've seen some Hitchcock, even though they messed yeah. me up seeing him young. Um, <laughs> I haven't had a healthy relationship with a bird ever since the movie mm. Birds. Um, yeah. The birds. But yeah. Um, yeah. It, for me, something like Shining, Rosemary's Baby, Hitchcock, and then some of these newer folk, like those, um, Jordan Peele, those are worth it for me. And mm. I find myself, when it's when it's artfully done, it's easier for me to detach myself from it because it's not just like jamming a sensation into your fucking brain. It's yeah. like a painting of something that's like, you know, um, Scream, the Edward Munch painting or something like that, where it's like, this is a nightmarish image, but it's crafted expertly. And that's why it's in the MoMA or wherever it is now. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, what what were your thoughts about the performances? Dude, I could go off. Um, we already talked about Lapone, Parker Posey absolutely crushed it um that scene there's a scene which if someone's seen the movie they know what scene would come out that we'll have oh, to yeah. talk about later oh yeah walking phoenix to me is one of the absolute best um i was listening to an ari aster interview about this movie afterward because i've been kind of like um catching up on who he is as a director since mm -hmm. seeing this and being so moved by it but he was saying like walking phoenix is one of the best actors and he was and he had high expectations for it and was always wanting to work with them he said working with them he was it exceeded his expectations by a lot. Joaquin Phoenix, um, the Joker, uh, the recent Joker movie, um, the the Master. Mm -hmm. the, these are a couple to me of like recent favorite acting performances, especially R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Daniel Day Lewis is retired. We don't have a ton of those like Marlon Brando level intense dramatic actors. 
these days who are good at fully giving themselves over to a role and able to sell tickets at the same time, um, able to be the front of a poster and yet are really art house dudes. Um, and I was thinking about it, like Joaquin Phoenix doesn't really do theater, but he no. reminds me, I've seen, I've gotten to see um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Michael Shannon is kind of like, he's not a front of the movie poster dude, um, but Ethan Hawke, I've seen these dudes on Broadway Never yeah. even heard of Joaquin Phoenix being on Broadway. He's been in a movie family like his whole life, right? So, um, but he, I was thinking about it like he could and should be doing just the best quality Broadway in the world. He's up there with anybody else on acting skills, embodying a character, doing mm -hmm. more than just a voice and saying words and dialogues. But like you see him physically, the way he, from head to toe, the way he commits to something. And he's also such an intense weirdo yeah he's great for parts like this um and that was another interesting thing in that interview hearing Ariaster talk about joaquin phoenix's craft and he's not going to try to repeat the same thing over and over again some people are just going to memorize the words and say in the same way every time it seemed like the, the vibe i got was that joaquin phoenix is really embodying the role and there's a story about how sometimes he would just scream on set no mm. one's filming at all. And he would just start screaming to like keep himself in that headspace. Which yeah. I, 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 I'm so sad for the interns that are trying to bring him water or whatever. Like, well, what do I do? Um, but no, all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> that's, that's the level of just wild, um, savage acting that we're talking about here. So full, yeah. full love for the, him as an actor. Then the other parts, um, well, there There's was a a, we. We should mention yeah. Nathan Lane is another big name in this movie, uh, who plays yeah. uh, the character of Roger, um, so uh, who is part of a, a family that he kind of like bumps into, <laughs> quote unquote. Uh, you know, a little wink, wink, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and <laughs> you know, it was really interesting to see Nathan Lane in a movie like this. You know, I, I thought it really added a lot to the surrealism of it all. Which is something else to worth mentioning. We're now talking about a few Broadway folks yeah. between Patty mm -hmm. Lapone and Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane's essentially like a Patty Lapone level, yeah, a legendary diva of the stage. Also, I've had the pleasure of seeing Nathan Lane live on Broadway. Um, there's something about that aspect that adds to the how surreal the story is, yep. where the like and we'll get into theories later, but these are roles that needed to be surreal and hyper real, highly dramatic, but also as if it's a plant or a staged mm -hmm. scene or character to where you don't know what this person's intentions are to use someone of the stage is a really good way to have a character whose whole existence might be staged in a way. Yeah. Um, and the other person uh, worth mentioning, and the name is uh, Amy Ryan, um, who we might know as Holly from The Office. That's right. Nathan Lane's character's yep. wife. Loves seeing her in anything. So good. She was so she good. Crushed it. Yeah. She crushed it here. Um, I've only seen her in a couple other things. I know she's done uh, other stuff that I haven't seen that's popular enough. But man, absolutely great work there. And then the other main actor that I'm thinking of, and he was, um, he's done a lot of supporting work. I'm thinking of Lady Bird specifically, um, another A24 movie, if, I, if I'm remembering right. Yep. But it's mm -hmm. Stephen McKinley Henderson who plays the therapist. Oh, yes. 
yeah, that dude. Yeah. Every time I see him in a TV show or a movie, I go, all right, we're in good yeah. hands. Whatever's happening from that character will be performed excellently. So overall on the cast, I'm trying to think of, of who well, else? Like there's a couple other smaller characters. Is there anyone I'm missing as far as main cast goes? Well, before we, we go into that, I, I just want to say about Stephen McKin- McKinley. Like I loved how whenever you see him on screen and whatever character he plays, he always comes across as like the gentle giant. But mm-hmm. then there's always something behind that. You're like, wait yeah. a minute. Is 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 he hiding something? Is is there something sneaky going on? And I love how he kind of can play that role to the T. Um, Richard Kind was, yes, in was in the movie say, at the end. That's yes. the other one worth mentioning. Yeah. Mainly known for Cars, Toy Story 3, and playing the Caterpillar in Bugs Life. However... <laughs> I love him as an actor. He's done Coen Brothers stuff before. Yeah. Um, Curb. He's done um, a few, like he is a high quality actor and mm-hmm. he crushed it in this one. It's so uh, good. Small part near the end. Yeah. Worth the price of admission on that, on that speech. Um, yeah. Who, which great actors don't want to do a courtroom drama scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oof. And to hear him do that. <laughs> was was special in that in that exact moment which also um that that scene was so cgi would have been difficult for some proper actor actors and yet he absolutely um hit it out of the park no for sure um and, and lastly i i will also mention that uh armin Nahapetian, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, who ta- who plays the teenage uh, bow. Yes. Uh, yeah. The fact that he really does look very much mm-hmm. like Joaquin Phoenix freaked me out because I thought, especially when I saw this in the trailer, I honestly thought they did CGI work to his face that yeah. made him look like that. But he, yeah. I just, I'm looking at a picture of him. He actually mm-hmm. really does look like that. So I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. There's a whole world of like child actor stuff uh, where it's like you just want to look like a famous person. And in this case, bravo, Um, which often I I could imagine them being like, "Uh, you look like Joaquin Phoenix. That's not a good thing. You're not going to get the Disney role. (laughs) I was like, wait for it. I'm going to be in a very acclaimed movie soon. Um, The. I thought it was going to be like a son or something or a younger version, but yeah, just full CGI. The. A lot of the other parts are like there's the military guy, even the mm-hmm. daughter that you just mentioned, Kylie Rogers character. They're kind yeah. of like smaller parts and they're just more playing cartoon level characters, like extreme versions of a yeah. person. Um, so the main cast, so overall, absolutely brilliant work. It, whatever mm-hmm. the director is doing to get that work out of them and then whatever they're bringing to the table, it worked so well. Yeah. I do want to mention my buddy, I saw it with just. There's a scene. Um, are we doing spoilers yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I won't spoil it. There's a scene where Walking Phoenix is walking from one side of a field to the other. And the buddy just goes, this is going to get him an Oscar. Or this will get him a nomination. Like, he has to be. Mm-hmm. And we know from experience, horror movies basically never get nominated. It is so rare. Even if it's not horror, whatever. Genre, psychological thriller movies it's almost impossible for a movie this weird to get nominated. Occasionally it happens. This is one where he definitely, in my opinion, we're in April now, but I would be surprised if in December I'm not arguing that he should be in a top five spot. And then 
I would honestly give Patty Lapone um, a supporting nod for sure. that work. Mm-hmm. Partially, like I, I know I've seen in the show Girls, she hasn't done a ton of screen work as much as a lot of other uh, actors, um, especially of her level of fame. Yeah. She's more choosy with her roles and is even slowed down on Broadway. But she she originates Evita on Broadway, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and then Madonna's playing it in the movie. Um, that that's that's that kind of thing has happened to her before. Um, she's doing Sweeney Todd, and then it's Helena Bonham Carter in the movie not long mm-hmm. after, things like that. So I think this could be a chance. I'm calling it, and just so we can, so I can audio grab this later and play it for you <laughs> if I'm right, and then feel free to play it if I'm wrong. I'm not taking it that. I, I'm not 100 percent about it. But this is one where if you want to, if the Academy wants to give Patti Lapone a legend of acting, although sure. mostly song and dance stuff, if they want to give her a nod, this was a good role to do it for. And it might be the last best chance you get because that's a juicy role playing the mom in this movie. And she had oh, yeah. a juicy scene. She mm. delivers a line. And I, I kept thinking she's about to go more diva and more silly, more ridiculous, more over the top the way stage actors can sometimes do. She says, um, my own mother wouldn't touch me. She, Even if I was on fire, she wouldn't stamp me out. Yeah. And I just got yeah. chills the way she delivered yep. that line in that whole speech. She's got essentially a monologue that I could see people oh, yeah. performing in mm-hmm. drama class for decades to come. So overall, yeah. you asked about the past, fantastic. Yeah. One of the no, the... The, the monologue you're referring to, I've already seen a lot of people online, the movie pundits and all that, kind of comparing it to like Tar, you know, when when mm-hmm. uh, when she kind of monologues as well. It's very, yeah. very similar to that vein. And again, it, they got the perfect person to do that type of character with Patti LuPone because being the Broadway diva that she is, I think for those who are not into Broadway and all that, they may know her because of her rants that she goes off right, on. Right. You know, like when she blows up at an audience member taking a photo, you know, and she'll go on a, a rant to them and all that. Somebody took the mask off during the show and she's yelling at them during yeah. the show. There's yeah. She has multiple moments like that and she's known, which it's part of her charm if you're into, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're able to accept the Broadway diva concept. Right. I... If I'm the casting agent, I'm like, are you sure we want to do basketball like this? this <laughs> of is, course, yeah. It's it, we're not going to do much basketball talk, but it's like bringing Kyrie Irving over to your team or something. Like this could go south in the yep. locker room pretty quickly. Things could get yep. weird. I don't know. Maybe she. I, my other understanding is she is very much a locker room presence. In to mm-hmm. use that term, like she is, and there's going to, of course, I'm sure, be some diva behind the scenes drama, but she's very much on the side of Broadway, the production, the show must go on type energy. So maybe it's a brilliant choice there, but like, goodness, if I'm the intern on that one, Joaquin Phoenix is screaming in one room and in this room, I'm like, I got to make sure my phone's off or else things might go real south. You're getting screamed at from both ends. Who knows? But that intensity helped contribute to the, how brilliant this role was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Perfectly cast as long. And yeah, it it was, it was the bet paid off. No, it, it worked. It re- it really, really worked. Um, and and the one last thing I will say uh, as far as casting is concerned, and I didn't even notice this. Um, uh, Michael Gandolfini played one of the sons 
it during the full forest scene. And I didn't know that. Um, I, I guess I just wasn't paying enough attention to it. But it was nice to see him in a very, very small role. Uh, not even front and center there. But it's it's always good to see him on screen. Ever since I saw him in the Sopranos movie, I thought he deserves to do more stuff after that. So it was just really nice to see that. Um, before we go into spoiler talk and all that, I, I think it's very important to kind of say to the lay person who is not a movie buff like you and I, to someone who probably doesn't know anything about this movie, how exactly would you explain this movie to that person? You know, and the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, you get like those like kind of descriptions online about a movie when you when you like look it up and all that. I'm going to read you what it says here on IMDb. And I know you and I, we, we both hate IMDb at this point because I don't know what the hell they did with their site and all that. But it, it's one of the ones that had a, a, a very concise and very brief description of this movie. And it says, following the sudden death of his mother, which I'm actually surprised they bring that up because I felt like that was like one of those like kind of surprise yeah. twists in the movie because yeah. you don't see that in the trailer at all. So I'm surprised that they actually bring this up. But following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic Kafkaesque odyssey back home. I actually like that last line because that yeah. is actually pretty accurate to the T. Um, what would you add to this if you were to describe this to someone who who knows nothing out. about it? I was working out the tagline. It's something like high octane adventure of a man full of anxiety to get home, afraid of what he might find uh, mm -hmm. when he returns, something like that. But sure. as far as if I'm talking to a friend, or I also try to think of it as someone ca casual. When yeah. you're talking about how to describe a movie, because I could be like, oh, if you like this and this and this, and here's three references, and there's this one scene, I'm not going to get into it in that scenario. Mm -hmm. If it's someone who's just like, should I see this? And there's some people in my life, I would say, no, do not see this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know they'll either be frustrated by it, or it'll be too intense or too violent isn't really the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely some moments of violence and grotesque uh, intensity. It's, it is a mindfuck movie, which some people that turns on, some people it turns off. Mm. It's full of anxiety. It's a, about a man's personal journey and what he goes through. Um, and I think, I don't think describing the movie, you have to talk about that trip home. But when we get into theories in a little bit, that to me yeah. is... The, what the whole movie is about but i don't even realize that until later that that is really the center of the movie the whole story is essentially a lot about that journey home and while we know that that's where he's headed if at some point the car gets derailed and he now is spending the rest of the movie in the woods i've been like okay this was actually a movie about him finding himself not him returning home or whatever right um right. but yeah i think at the end of the day like an anxiety mind fuck personal journey inward highly metaphorical mm -hmm. if you're someone who's going to like the being john malkovich's and the eternal sunshines and the and the a lot of the other movies that we've mentioned before yeah um high art house um high art horror type movies or we get we need we need to we need more words than horror because it's <laughs> such a stigmatized word we don't have them but there's like yeah. psychological thriller we need one that's just like it 
it uh, punches you in the gut and kisses you on the lips at the same time. Whatever that. Oh, I like that. I, I I like that. Yeah, you're into yeah. that too. Oh, yeah. you mean oh as a description? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well, well, I mean, it, depending on the mood I'm in, yeah. So, um, but but yeah, no, I like how you put it because that is a pretty good description of the effect that you feel while you watch this movie, especially afterwards as well. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's very clear that Blake and I enjoyed this movie. Um, and uh, it's going to be a movie that's not going to be for everyone, for sure. Uh, if you're a fan of Ari Aster, I think you will appreciate this movie 100, you know, 100%. But if you're expecting something similar to like a Midsommar or a Hereditary, I would say maybe tame your expectations just a tad. Because uh, this is definitely leaning more towards the surrealism and more of the, I want to say, concept of a man and concept of a brain and how it works. You know, because, again, there are many moments throughout this movie where it's very difficult to, to decipher if this is real or not. You know, and it's just one that, like you said, it's very much a mindfuck movie. Um, so prepare yourself for that. Um, but if you're you're into movies like that, then this is something you definitely have to check out. Um, but I think right now is a perfect time for us to go into spoilers and to talk more deeply about the theories, the messages, all that stuff in this movie. But uh, if you haven't done so yet, this is also a perfect Sorry. time. Oh, no, go ahead. Real yeah. quick, my bad. Audience reaction because this mm -hmm. is how we feel about it. How did your did you see it with the crowd? How how did how was that aspect? I, I it for it's not fair for me to say because literally there were two okay. other people in the theater with me. <laughs> you, you, went the, you went at that time, okay? Yeah. I, I, thank goodness you have the ability to do that. Um, <laughs> I I did essentially like a late show. It was mostly full. Most people seemed into it, and I'm sure about mm -hmm. half of them were pretty befuddled, dumbstruck. If you're yeah. going into this one, like you're kind of like what you're mentioning, and you want to see Joker or um proper horror movie and you're going oh the guy who directed hereditary starring the guy who was in joker you might be uh yeah. in for a surprise there yeah but it seemed like a plenty of people were into it and even the weirder parts and the more perverse parts which is another word i would throw in the description sure. like some parts of this movie are beyond perverse um that but at the end of it the audience applauded not everybody, but we had a, it was a good enough people. And there was definitely audible reactions throughout and people who were into it and enthralled, mm -hmm. gripped by the movie, sometimes by the throat. So yeah. with that in mind, I am excited to get into spoilers. Let, let me get back to what you were saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was to follow up on that just real quick. Um, there was one other guy in the theater who laughed at the same moments I laughed at. So wow. at least it's good to know that we oh. were on the same wavelength. You know, for you found sure. your soulmate. Oh, that's so yeah. special. That's beautiful. Yeah. While the, the other guy was just so dead silent throughout the whole thing that I have no idea if he actually enjoyed it or not. It was it was very hard to tell. Um, but he sat through the credits, you know, through like like I did and like the other guy did. So there's that, I guess. But uh... yeah, you talk about the guy who <laughs> snored during one of the pivotal scenes near the end of the movie. So it was a late late show, and I know I know how it goes. I've, I've oh, been there. that sucks! But, and at some point, I just like did a couple big claps and hopes that it would yeah, wake yeah, him up. Yeah, yeah, to like wake it him up. Got yeah. snoring to stop a little bit. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, before we go into spoilers, now is a great time that if you haven't done so yet, definitely do hit that like button, subscribe if you haven't done so yet. 
hit the notification bell to get notified every time a new episode's uploaded. And like I said, if you want to hear us on the go, you could catch the Loki Geek uh, podcast channel on your podcast platform of choice. Um, you could listen to episodes like this and other stuff that we do here on the channel. Um, and, you know, while you're walking or driving around and all that good, good stuff like that, because, you know, we do have quite lovely voices here. And another good reminder that if you made it this far and you want to help support the channel grow, uh, definitely check out the affiliates that we have in the description of this episode. Uh, but again, I mentioned before that I partnered up with some pretty interesting companies that maybe you could find something cool for yourself or for a loved one. And by participating, you'll be helping support this channel at no additional cost to you. And of course, we are very much appreciative of all the support that we get. Uh, from those from people who uh, elect to participate in those fields that we have there. So let me pop up the spoiler sign up on here uh, as we begin to talk about more spoilery. This is more about just our overall theories, the, the things that we took away from this movie, the things that we think the movie's trying to say and all that stuff. And I'll start off by by this by saying this because we kind of talked about it briefly before we started recording, where you asked me a question: At what point did you realize that maybe not everything you're seeing is real? You know, and I said I I I pretty much caught you know caught it very early on in in the film, where the movie starts off with him seeing his psychiatrist, and you know it just looks like a normal kind of back and forth that you see in, in any movie that has a psychiatrist scene. The minute we actually see him walking home or going to his neighborhood, <laughs> that's when I knew dead on, like, wait a minute, what the fuck is going on? Because it looks like a very post-apocalyptic, chaotic type of environment that is, you don't see this in everyday life where you have a dead body on the floor that, it, that no one's seemed to have touched. You have a robbery happening. You have, I believe we saw like a rape going down. We saw a hooker taking away a John to do whatever they got to do. You see people doing drugs in the street. You see like this ambulance giving out food, but a guy throwing away the food because it's too hot. And then the same guy sees Bo running and rushing into his apartment building, chasing after him and all that. Immediately when I saw that, I said, oh, wait a minute. We are seeing a manifestation of all of Bo's fears, anxieties, and and all of those things that really freak him out. And a great way to kind of um, call back is at the very beginning of the movie, before we see the, the 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 title credits or the title the title card, we see a birth happening, and we see a birth that's happening in in the point of view of the baby, and you see the baby comes out. The doctors are trying to like prep it and all that stuff. And the, you see, you hear the mom freaking out. Are you doing it right? What are you doing? How come the baby's not crying? And, and all that kind of stuff like that. And it takes a long time for the baby, Bo, in this case, to actually start crying. And at the end, when he finally does end up crying, that's when the title card plays out, right? And I do feel like that is kind of like a great message of, how scared Bo is going to be with his life and how very controlling it's going to be because of his mom, which is something that gets revealed throughout the rest of the movie where every aspect of Bo's life seems to be a, a controlling situation or a manifestation because his mom made it so. 
um, you know, we you see a lot of different hints on that, and, and it's it's kind of hard to go in order here because it, 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 it just has so much that happens. But you know, but at the end, I, 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 I feel like think we can do every single. There's moments and there's like chunks yeah. of time. Like he's at the doctor's house, he's in the forest, etc. But like the plot by plot, it's a three hour one, but also it's yeah. so varied and like huge. It is an odyssey. It that yeah, for sure. It, if someone needs that, definitely there's websites for the Cliff Notes version. Where oh, it's yeah. Like, hey, what happened and then what happened? I read one afterward. was like, oh, right. Th that was after the because it's so intense and yeah. all encompassing and enthralling um, and a journey for the character, but also for the audience. I agree. With yeah. You 100%. No, for sure. So I want I, I, I want to at least cover like the, some of the more important aspects and the important moments throughout the movie. And I and that, that kind of helps dictate and tell the story of what was really transpiring. Okay, one, my feeling and, and, and take from all of this is that, like I said, we are seeing a visual aspect and representation of all of Bo's fears, right? But why is Bo so afraid? You know, why is he so reliant on medication to kind of calm those fears down? And I think it's the fears that were instilled to him from birth because of his mom, because his mom was so controlling. And I felt like his mom is, in essence kind of like the not anti-men but definitely has some stuff against men in general that she needs to have Bo be the center of her world be or at least have her be the center of his world kind of like of his like he has to worship everything that the mom is there for and it, it like it's like we we alluded to earlier it's like that diva mentality that someone would have that, you know, you, every, everyone has to worship at my feet, which Bo in a way kind of tries to do at the end of the movie too, when the mom is trying to like belittle him and all that stuff. Um, but we do see that um, there are many aspects of Bo's life that she was a part of. She, we, we learned to find that she was a very successful business lady, created this company. Um, Cause her name is Mona Wasserman. And the logo of her company is MW. And you, if you paid enough attention throughout the movie, you see this logo pop up all over the place. It was the microwave that he was using. It was the, the meal that he was prepping. Um, you know, you saw it in billboards. Um, later on at the end of the movie, when you see her house, you see she has a wall of advertisements, which is like the timeline of her company. You see like the apartment complex that Bo was living in. Her company built that complex, you know, and well, those pictures in a lot of those advertisements too. Like he was this yeah. poster child, literally. Right. So it was just fascinating to see like how much of her life was really part of Bo's life. And it seemed like he never had a life of his own. Um, there was a running fear of his that you alluded to earlier in the episode that he was afraid of having sex because that he was told that his died his dad died while c they conceived him while they were having sex because of a heart murmur and his mom said that oh your grandfather and your great grandfather died the same exact way so you have the same problem too so in essence kind of like telling him you can't have sex you can't reproduce you know you can't have any other distractions that will take you away from me like that uh, to have that sense of a control over him. Bo had a, a reoccurring dream of his mom berating a boy that at one time I thought it was maybe a long lost brother of his, but 
I guess the, the more you watch it, the more I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. No, this is Bo himself. And he's just sure. seeing it, you know, from like an outsider's point of view where his mom was bullying him so much because Bo was actually at one point pushing back and talking back at the mom and asking for his dad. It's like, where's dad? I want daddy. And she locked up that personality into the attic, you know, where now the Bo that we got is the subservient, the obedient, the I can't live without my mom. And my mom's the only thing that matters and all that. And my mom told me not to do this and not to do that because I'm afraid. Uh, and it's, it's just this weird, complex um, journey into a person's mind that has all of these fears, anxieties and all that. And plus, on top of that, the embodiment and importance of his mom being the center of his world and not having and dealing with the realization that that may never change, even though he may want it to, you know, but he can he doesn't know how to push past that. So the journey aspect that you brought up too, at one point, it feels like it's the journey of Bo maybe trying to figure out how he can get out of that, mm-hmm. right? But then he yeah. all gets drawn back into it at the end of the day anyway. <laughs> at parts you're like, okay, this is essentially like Lord of the Rings, Odysseus, yeah. Yeah. this is a Herculean uh-huh. story, and for he'll sure. overcome. And at some point, and I'm, I was waiting for it. We're in spoiler territory. I was waiting for it. I was like, yeah, okay, now he's going to what? There's so many options, right? But like kill his mom, run away, start a new life, fall in love with Parker Posey. Right. Nope. 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 Yep. Uh, all his worst fears are manifested, which is essentially what's happening in this movie. An, an option for what's happening, which I kind of want to get this out of the way now. This isn't like my yeah. mega theory Go of what it. the movie's about. Yeah. But when we're talking about what's happening in this movie... We're talking about things that might not be happening in this movie. We're talking about (laughs) metaphors manifested. We're talking about anxieties manifested. And it's possible. I'm not saying that this is what the movie is about. But I have a strong feeling this movie could be about that the setting of the whole movie could be in the attic. The entire movie takes place in the attic. That is possible. Okay. Why not? Like, especially with what we see when we're in the attic um shit gets real weird up there um we know that even if it's not in in the attic we know that Bo gets locked in the attic indefinitely we know that his mom owns the building he lives in so maybe she expanded the attic and he's a prisoner but not literally chained up in the attic or maybe Mm -hmm. the attic she is literally a prisoner in his mind and at the end of the day is it the attic or is it the building it doesn't really matter and even past that metaphorically he might be living on his own in detroit and having a really easy cushy life and it barely hears from his mom and she doesn't bother him but for all of us if we're talking about the she literally had the blueprint of his building if we're talking about genetic encoding and like the blueprint dna that our parents lay in us and especially whoever whether or not it's biological or whoever raised you like yeah. is the one giving you your language how you view the world you might be getting their neuroses or disorders mm-hmm. or at least affected by them. And in some ways, a lot of our brains are just reactions to those people. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite that simple. Obviously, you have nature, nurture, etc. But there's a version where he's living a totally normal life. And this is just a metaphor for what's happening in his head. And there's a version where he's locked in an attic and everything is happening in his head and everything in between. That said, I think we do when we're talking about this movie and we're talking about the metaphors, it makes sense to actually talk about them as if they happened because they are shown on screen and they are telling us part of that story. Mm -hmm. I just 
Uh, and we'll get into theories later, but at the end of the day, I, I love one of the things I love about a movie like this is when it's open to interpretation. And yep. that's why my buddy and I were talking for hours after and why I I'm excited to talk to you now going through this because was that real and was that not? And what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And once you have it open like that, it can mean anything. Uh, it, sorry, it can mean so many different things. And when these movies are done poorly, it's, ah, it didn't mean anything and I don't care. And I wasn't invested and it could be this. It could be that. That was stupid. I have that yeah. complaint about some things. I don't just like everything that's open-ended, but when it's done really well and it's giving you clues and some of the clues are 50, 50, mm -hmm. that's when it's really fun for me. Cause then you're trying to piece it together and going, okay, so it might be this. And you're kind of like playing psychological detective of what's going on in this movie. And what is the director trying to say? At the end of the day, the biggest story is what are you taking out of it and how does it affect you as an audience member? No, absolutely. And I also find it interesting, too, is that I think Ari, he he does want the audience to come up with their own conclusions, because lately, if you if you've seen interviews where people are asking yeah. him about the movie, he doesn't want to talk about it. He really doesn't, yeah. you know, yeah. and that could be because that could be because of many other reasons, too. I, I've I've seen I've read articles where people are saying, well, is are we getting a glimpse into Ari Aster's life? Is this something that maybe he's writing about because of experience? You know, we don't know uh, because he doesn't want to talk about it. But I was wondering be. that in the movie. Is this just yeah. his own, like his letter to his mom or some shit? Right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I myself write and I do. I like it when other creatives and like screenwriters have done it. Some movie directors, some people, it's very literal what's happening. They're just telling a yeah. story. And they want you to understand it perfectly. I myself and a lot of the writers I like are the ones who don't answer the question, what's it about? Because the real yeah. question is, what does it mean to you? And I have uh, a certain movie buddy who gets pissed off when they do that. They're literally like, "You so it does. It could be anything. And it's just up to me. And I'm doing all the work. Why aren't you supposed to tell me a story? And if that's you, don't watch Bo is Afraid, or you will be <laughs> very disappointed. But yeah. I, that's part of, the, to me, the high literary value of this movie, is that it was yeah. very affecting, and yet it's unclear on the details of what's literal and what's not. That's part of what made, made it special to me. No, for sure. But you also described a lot of people who watch movies. A lot of people, they, they want things hand-fed to them, you know? Yeah. I, I'll never forget the ending of Inception, where, yeah. you know, when it just ended with the thing spinning, and everyone's like, wait, that's it? Like, whoa, so is he, like, in the real world, or is he trapped in the dream state like that? Well, you know, this is up for your own interpretation. And you're like, fuck that, blah, 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 this and that. You know, it's just, there are just people who can't stand movies like that. I am the opposite. I have many times applauded or pumped my fist yeah, in absolutely. at that moment. Mm -hmm. And there's movies, a lot of my favorite movies are doing that, basically. It's one way I know, like, oh, this director is doing the thing where they're asking the audience. They want to have an effect on the audience. And it's yeah. really a good way to get rid of the effect you have on the audience. If you go, so here's the ending of the story. And this is how you're supposed to feel. And the audience yeah. goes, okay, I feel that temporarily. And now it means nothing to me. And it won't be, I won't, it won't be uh, plaguing me at night for the coming weeks. Um, yeah. I talked to someone else who'd seen it before me. And they were like, haven't stopped thinking about this movie since I saw it. And haven't had that experience in a long time. Same here. Um, mm -hmm. I literally have plans with another friend who saw the movie to meet up later tonight for beers just to talk about this movie. Like sure. we have three of these conversations in 24 <laughs> hours and I'm not mad about it at all. That's special. And, it, and I'm sure it's quite possible that your conversations will all be different. 
because again, everyone takes things differently, right? So I'll text you at like 11 p.m. half drunk and be like, "Yo, Renee, Renee, I got one for you. They just mentioned this. Did you notice that?" Oh, uh, I would love we that. Do sometimes we text yeah. each other after some of these type movies, going like, "Oh, by the way, the R the director said this in an interview. That's a big clue." It's like, um, "Oh, I didn't think of that. That's amazing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Yes, audiences get mad about that, and especially like a lowest common denominator audience. I would guess that about half the people who are going in hoping for Saw 7 are going to be mad about this movie. That, that said, movie, yeah. I also had a friend who gets mad about that, but mm -hmm. it's more of like a performative hater kind of thing. Like, oh, damn it, you got me. Like when you tell a joke or pull a prank on somebody and you pull yeah. the rug out from under them or you do a shaggy dog story or tell a pun or a dad joke and they're like, fuck you, that was terrible. But really... They did enjoy it. And I, I like grilled them on it. And like we talked through, I was like, well, here's why I like it. And they're like, no, oh, yeah, I like it too. It's cool that they do that. I respect it as art, but also come on. Like, so it's possible that those people who are mad about it aren't mm -hmm. actually walking away, giving it 0% on Rotten Tomatoes because they're so miffed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I, I definitely walked out of theaters going, what the hell was that? And oh, yeah. I, when that happens, it makes me love the movie even more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love I love it. One of my best experiences was, um, and, and it's funny because this is also in the horror genre. The very first time I watched the Blair Witch, uh, and I and I'm sh I'm sure you've never watched it, or maybe you did. Did you ever no. watch it? Okay, no, okay, yeah. But you're familiar with the ending, right? Because I feel like that's been parodied so many multiple times everywhere at this point. Honestly, that, no, and I can go. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna go off a uh, camera audio. <laughs> I won't. I won't describe it. No, I won't describe it. I won't describe it. Okay. I won't. I won't describe it. But basically, <laughs> the ending was left kind of ominous, where it's just like, okay, what exactly happened, right? And again, just like what we're talking about now. And I, there was someone in the audience who stood up Did when the say, credits. Sorry, just, ominous or uh, ambivalent? Like, are you saying it's? It was a scary ending, or that it was open to interpretation. Uh, both, both. It was okay. scary. It was scary, and also kind of like, okay, what exactly is happening though? You know, because okay. it just kind of like left it at this one thing, and then you don't see anything else, but you know something's happening, but you're like, what's happening? And then it just then cuts to black, and then credits oh, yeah. roll like that. Okay. And one guy literally stood up and just like, I paid twelve bucks for this. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, sure did, buddy. And I loved every moment of it. <laughs> like, to me, like, you get more bang for your buck with a movie like that because now you have the movie is in your head and you yeah. get to write the ending of it. And if you don't want to think and if you have a fucking shitty day job and you just want to yeah. drink beer and shut off, and then maybe don't go see movies like this or yeah. maybe at all because you have to do some work in a movie yeah. that like, oh, what was that? What am I feeling? Why? Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's probably the same people who are like, therapy is a bunch of bullshit. You just talk about your feelings and don't get nowhere. Yeah. I, bro, like, I I get more value out of it. because, And it's it's one of those, the other thing is, yeah, there are some where you have to do a lot of work. Like, I don't like puzzle movies too much because sometimes sure. you have to do actual, like, diagramming it out and my brain doesn't work yeah. very well that way. But the one where it's basically you get out of it what you put into it, that's exactly mm -hmm. what's happening here. And all you really have to do if you're that guy is be like, what do I think happened at the end? It was probably this. And now you have an ending. Congratulations. And That's the it. director would be fine with your conclusion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it is fascinating how different people react to these type of movies <laughs> like that. 
Um, but let's go back to the, the movie here where if you really think about it, the movie is split into four parts, right? You have the the first part where it's Bo and experiencing Bo in his everyday life, dealing with a situation, right? And I feel like that's what led to him trying to visit home because of the anniversary of his dad's death and the anniversary of his parents, right? It was like an anniversary. It was like a multi-anniversary thing. It's like his dad dad's his own birthday because it was when he was conceived, right? In in essence, right? Um, and it was also the anniversary of his parents. So that in itself was just like, okay, this is already, wow. Talk about mindfuck right here. And then not being able to go because, like you said, he oversleeps, right? Because it, this was a weird situation too where he kept getting notes thrown because of like someone complaining about noise that he was not a part of, that he didn't do anything about. But I also felt like that, again, it, we're witnessing the anxiety of Bo not being able to sleep because he's already so nervous about going back home, that that idea of going back home or whatever the case is. At least that's how I interpret it. It's like, you know, like sometimes when you when you know there's something big, important the next day, you can't sleep oh, and you're never going for a flight or a job. Yeah. Or anything important, which is fucked because then you're tired for the important thing. Right. It runs in my family, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I and I feel like your mind will manifest so many different things that will keep you awake and like or all your thoughts race and all that stuff like that. And, and in a way, this is what we're seeing here with Bo, in, in my opinion. And then as he's rushing to go out the door, he loses his keys. His keys were, quote unquote, stolen. Um, his bag was stolen. Um, and then now he's taking this medication that he needs water. The water shut off in the building. So now he has to run across the street, which he hates to do get the water and then because he has no keys and he left the door open everyone from the block decides to go inside his apartment and just create havoc and, and again this is Bo in his way manifesting the fears of what would happen if I left my apartment and this is exactly what would happen and it you know this is all that's going on um, if, which if led I, if, yeah go ahead yeah well just before you get to part two I don't want to interrupt yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um so so I just wanted to close things out where it's just like, okay, that's when he finally gets the call about his mom passing, that he has to now he has no choice, that he has to try to get back home. Um, and which led into this crazy <laughs> bathtub running out of the house naked and then in getting smashed by a truck, uh, kind of scenario. Uh, which leads into the the second part of the movie, uh, which we'll we'll go into after you say what you have to say. But that's that's what I would say was like the first part of this movie. Hundred percent. And this is where you're talking about when you realize things weren't as they appeared. Yeah. Part of my big theory on the movie, and at, le- at the very least, one where we know it's open to interpretation, and this is about anxieties manifest, and we'll get to more. Th- bigger picture theory stuff later but like the push pull of someone who's in an anxious relationship with themselves and sometimes with a parent i basically i I had my little notebook out and was jotting things down early on and there are much more than what i'm about to name i'll just do a handful of these but there's things where he's stuck in a push pull can't win situation and as someone who has suffered severe and sometimes less severe anxiety throughout my life Mm-hmm. I related to it intensely. Like it was beautiful to watch it done so well on screen. He has 
situations where he cannot win and he's stuck, he's in a pickle. And so uh, the example that the therapist gives is one of the first ones I'm noticing. uh, And then it becomes manifest where the therapist is saying, if you went to a well and the water was poisoned, would you go back to that well next time you're thirsty? Right. And he's essentially someone who has to go back to the well, even though Mm -hmm. he's been poisoned or might be poisoned. And he's anxious about that possibility. Yeah. Then he has to, he's then told by the same therapist, you have to take this medicine and you have to drink water with it, which there's a metaphor there with a poisoned well, but he has to drink water, but the water is off in the building. This is one of those pickles. He can't sleep because the neighbor is leaving notes under the door, accusing him of something he's not doing and the neighbor can't sleep. So now he can't sleep because the neighbor can't sleep for an imaginary reason, which is sometimes how anxieties manifest themselves. You're here or afraid of something that isn't actually happening, but because of that thing, now you're stuck in this fucking pickle again. He needs floss, and that's why he lost his life. Oh, yeah, that's right. Were yeah. Stolen. And he <laughs> can't leave home because he can't get back home, which right. is a hell of a rub. And he's going through it with his mom going like, I don't know what to do. Um, I can't. Like, what would you do? Thing. Tell me what to do. Yeah, like, like essentially asking her to tell him what to do. <laughs> And what does she say? She says, I'm sure you'll do the right thing. And he goes, what is the right thing? Right. Is the right. How do you do the right thing if you don't know what the right thing is? And this is some like shitty advice people give to people with mental health issues is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, just think through it. Just don't stop worrying about it. Well, how am I going to stop worrying about it if the well is poisoned? Right. The tattoo, wild tattoo guy is stuck in the door at some point and he has to go in to avoid the tattoo guy. But to do so, he has to go around the tattoo guy like kind of like taps him and like gets around the body. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the scene, which we've already spoiled that it happens, or I guess IMDb did too, which is crazy, but the mom's dead. The UPS guy played by Bill fucking hater. If I'm not Hell wrong, yeah. I looked, I Hell thought yeah. Hater. I'm almost yeah. Bill hater. I hope that's confirmed. The voice Love is very similar. Home. Yeah. The, the voice is similar from the, side. And from the side. Yeah, totally. He, he could be uncredited for all we know. So I'm going to go and say it's Bill Hader. If I'm wrong, yeah. sue me and then press that like button again. Um, <laughs> Bill, Bill motherfucking Hader saying the, the woman has no face or head. And he's going, uh, but you need to identify the body, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. This is going right. to cause this guy another panic attack. He's had back-to-back panic attack events. He... Um, the sur- when the surgeon hits him, which we're about to get to that, so I'll just stop it here. This is the end of my list. Like, surgeon hits him with the car. The doctor, yep. the person who's supposed to fix him, is the one who hits him with the car, which is another metaphor for like parental relationships. Like, this is a person who's supposed to nurture me and save me, but they're also right. the ones who are abusing me or hitting me. In this case, literally striking them with a vehicle. And then the fucking surgeon has to get out to ask you, go, You're a very lucky man. Nathan, uh, you're a very lucky man because I'm a surgeon. Yeah, I'm the right. one who hit you. Um, right. And then another one that's like, there's just all these different contradictions all throughout. But the, the all, all in the list there because there it keeps going. And essentially, the almost everything in the movie can be read and interpreted that way. Mm-hmm. That is doing a great job of setting us up for exactly what the movie is. Is this person who has to get from one place to another? who's experiencing severe anxiety because of what they are going through. 
and how the movie is open to interpretation of it could be this or it could be that. And I thought that was a brilliant way to start it off that part one that you described. No, absolutely. And, and it, again, it helps set the tone, right? And it, it's kind of it's like those it, it, kind of like what I like to call a gut check. It's like if if you could get past this, <laughs> Yo. then you're good for the rest yeah. of the movie. If you can't get past this, then this movie is not going to end up working for you at all whatsoever. Yeah. You know, so but at that point, I was all in. You know, I already had things formulating so, in my head. I'm just like, wait a yeah. minute. Like, this is this. This could mean that. I was just like, wow, this is going to be a wild ride we're going to be going through. Um, and it leads you to part two. And I want to say part two and part three are is the journey portion of Bo, right? It's like, it's the journey portion about him kind of coming to that realization that there's no escaping. He has to get back home, right? Um, no matter what. And it's also a journey portion of I, I'm still realizing and dealing with the fact that I am under the, the, the control of my mom. But is there a possibility that I can get out of that? You know, like is like how can I escape this and this stigma that I have carried along with me for the whole time? And I felt like being in the surgeon's house, you know, we had Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan being the, the husband and wife figure there. I felt like this was Bo's kind of interpretation of what a normal family could be like, you know, mm -hmm. being in there because it comes to fruition that all of a sudden they're trying to adopt him, you know, which is, which is really, really fascinating. And again, again, it's all manifested, you know, in, in his mind that he at is. Point, is yeah, go sorry. ahead. Yeah. At some point, so Nathan Lane is literally saying that they're family. He's calling him my brother, my dude, right. my guy. Yeah. Um, but at some point, they're literally saying, like, we're a family now. They're talking about, like, and the sister is saying, um, you're too old to be uh, adopted. adopted. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. it's literally, yeah, that's, I didn't even put that. I, I knew that that was, like, part of it, but I didn't put that together, that, like, the new family concept. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, this is my own interpretation and all that. I'm sure everyone will have their own view and all that. But the way I looked at it is, like, okay, this is, because you notice they live in a very nice place. You know, very roomy. Um, they do good things for other people, right? They take care of like those who are sick and injured. And the mom is very involved in all that stuff. But in, the mom is also in her own way trying to free Bo's mind. You know, like she leaves him these notes saying, don't incriminate yourself. You know, like, like try to like she told him about a secret about a channel on the TV to go to this channel, you know, when you're watching TV. And it's basically a camera looking in on him, you know. And so in a way, it's like your mind telling yourself, take a step back and look at what you're doing with your life right now. Look at your own situation. He has the ability to rewind and fast forward and all that. You know, it's just like this is the the, the moment where I could figure out, is, is my life the way I want it to be like that? You know, I have a right to change it right now. I could. I could. But will I? You know, and then I guess he, in 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 Bo's own way, he gets sucked back into the the fear and anxiety because of the daughter. Right, the daughter, this the the vision of the daughter forces him to do something that he knows is wrong, but you know he he can't seem to step away from it. Wait, and you're then, talking about the vision of the daughter. You're talking about the drug scene in the car, or no? No, uh, no, I haven't touched that part yet. Yeah, so yeah. What do you, I'm talking what do you about the, the painting, the painting part. Like when they like oh, come yeah. to the room and paint the the son's room with me and all that, yeah. like 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 tempting him to do stuff that he knows is wrong, 
And then another pickle. Oh, you're not, right. Another pickle. To, and I yeah. can't. It's, I shouldn't. And if I do, I'll incriminate myself, which one person exactly. said I shouldn't do. But I have to because this character is forcing me. Ugh. Right. Uh, it, 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 uh, to be that person with already having those fears and, and those anxieties, to be put into another pickle like that, you're just like, oh, this guy can't catch a break. And then because he wouldn't budge, she's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to drink all this paint. And now the guilt is put on him. The mom all of a sudden turns on Bo. Like, what the fuck did you do? You know, that it's like, again, it's like being able to control your destiny in your life and all that. Now, the one thing I will say in this portion here that I, I still need clarity on, and maybe you can help with that, is the drug part that you mentioned. The being in the car, taking the marijuana. Well, we don't know if it's marijuana because when he asks, what's in this? There are three things in it, but she doesn't elaborate. She also might be fucking with them too. Of course, of course. Yeah, but that was a whole big fuck to begin with because she's like, dad told me to take you home, but yet they're just driving around the block as as they're smoking up. And haha, you didn't go anywhere. You know, you're still stuck here. So it's and Bo again cannot fight back. He cannot get out of the situation or whatever like that. So I felt like at least that portion was like another wave of Bo manifesting what another family life could have been. Or was this Bo's uh, interpretation of what the ideal family life that was told to him is like that maybe he never experienced? I don't know. It could be a lot of those things. But how did you see that that part of the movie? So I'm going to run with what you're saying because I was still in a world where I was like, this is literal, but some of the things happening aren't. So like, does the CCTV really tell the future? Which I kind of missed this, but apparently it fast forwards and gets him all the way to where he's on the boat later. Yeah, in the movie, it did flash amazing. like really quick. It flashes. And I remember the boat scene. I remember one amazing. scene in the house. Yeah, it's it was crazy. Yeah. So I knew that some of it's not really happening, but I was still in a point where I'm not in full. Everything's a metaphor for something. So I am glad you brought that theory about that being the new family concept. That makes sense. And what I'm going to run with a little bit on that, and then I'll hand it back off to you. Yeah. Um, I've done enough therapy over the years. There's this type of counseling. It's, it's more for couples counseling, but there's this thing where when you are finding a life partner, there's one theory that you're looking for someone who is similar to your parents or the opposite mm-hmm. sex parents sometimes. And then there's another theory that you're actually looking to find someone who gives you the things that that parent lacked. So you need, um, you need someone who's good at physical touch because you did not receive that. And for at the end of the day, like these things are um, just as uh, oh, like open to interpretation depends case by case as this movie is. But if that is his new family, it's interesting that if the mom is the one made him sick, he's looking for these people who are healers, essentially, who are so quick to take him under their wings, who are willing to do anything and everything for him. Later on, if you believe the mom, she did everything for him. But did she really? No. (laughs) My interpretation of that mom's relationship is that the mom was using him, locking him up, abusive, but she was essentially gaslighting him, saying, I did everything for you. Yep. You made me lock you up, and that hurt me, like that type of bullshit. Yeah. This family is the opposite. Nathan Lane and Amy Smart's characters are so happy and loving and lovely, and they would do anything. And yet, the only other thing I'll ask, um, and I don't know if you already answered this, but do you think that they were plants hired by the mom? And or there's also the military guy who shows up around this scene who's a weird character. Do you think yeah. he's a plant hired by the mom? 
There's also a dude at some point spying on Bo. And the understanding is there's this, the um, there's an image later in the mosaic of the mom where one of the people, and now I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering, but I think there was at some point there's like, it's clear that the mom, there was a photo of one of, or, or more of those people in that mosaic mm-hmm. maybe, but anyway, not necessarily literally. Cause maybe those are just figments of his imagination manifested yeah. through the mom or whatever. But in the literal version of this movie, do you think that Nathan Lane and Amy Smart's characters are are just the mom is has he's hit with an ambulance and she mm-hmm. owns the ambulance company and says here's what you're going to do and maybe that's where we get to the Truman show stuff where Amy Smart's character is saying don't incriminate yourself knowing the mom is in charge of this whole fucking charade and you're uh, which is I think the 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 female character in Truman show literally has a moment like that at some point right um what's your take on how not really how real or literal it is but is the mom running the show there or some of it yeah i i think the mom ran the show throughout all throughout everything yeah the, and and what about the yeah. forest well, we'll get to that in a second Sorry. we'll, we'll get in to that world, in a minute you think yeah, the yeah. characters are hired by her the home is built and owned by her the cctv is run by her etc yeah. and that she knows the future or maybe that's where it's a little bit of a metaphor well, yeah. So it, it again, it's all about control. It's all about control and all that. And I felt like this was the mom's attempt to throw temptation at Bo and see mm-hmm. where he would go with it. Because there is a there's a part in in that whole entire er, scene where again Bo knows he has to rush home because he gets a call from the lawyer, and the lawyer is like, "Your mom is not going to get buried unless you show up, and if you don't show up quick." You are uh, embarrassing her legacy. You are, you know, like poisoning this and that, blah, 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 all that. Making Bo, again, feel very guilty. So he he begs and pleads to the, the couple, I really mm. need to get home. I really need to get home. And they all of a sudden, they're like, okay, we'll take you home first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, Nathan Lane gets a call. Oh, you know what? I have the surgery. It has to be done. I, I really thought this could happen. Is it okay if we push it to tonight? Like, oh, we'll do it tonight and all that, you know. And I think, you know, in in Bo's mom's case, it would be like, no, you are not delaying this. I'm getting home right away. In essence, also there's a health concern with him traveling too, so they're right. even giving him a little evidence. Like, right. if you want a reason to believe it, here you go. You right. can't even fly. No, yeah. yeah, it's like you shouldn't be flying. I mean, look, your he stitches are opened up again. Well, he said, "Your body, your wounds will open up on the plane, like because of the air pressure. Yeah, because of the air pressure. It's just going to open up like a balloon, <laughs> yeah. something right. like that. Yeah, <laughs> and and both, and then both like, all right, I'll wait. Yeah, you could do all that, and of course, that would upset the mom. It's like, what do you mean you would wait? You know, and I think that's what kind of caused that whole part to uh, go nuts. Right, that's when the daughter started acting more nuts mm-hmm. and and everything. So mm-hmm. it, it it's." I, again, it's it's all about the control from the mom, I think, and that temptation and the kind of the testing of Bo's kind of loyalty and allegiance to the mom. Like, just like, are you going to obey me and obey what I need, or are you going to try to veer off and do your own thing? Which I think eventually led into the third part, because that was, I think, Bo's attempt to really, like, his pure attempt to really veer away from that to individuate to use the therapy yeah. term um i'm gonna go off camera real quick while you're doing the setup on the part three okay okay sure yeah 
Um, so yeah, so part three, we see Bo escaping the house because, you know, all the shit went down with the daughter and now he feels guilty and, you know, everyone's pointing the fingers at Bo. The household had this, uh, this person named Jeeves who was, uh, friends with her, their son in the military who passed away in the military. Um, so Jeeves has PTSD. And they're trying to take him in and, like, you know, take care of him and all that. But he still very much thinks he's in the war. So he thinks everyone is out to get him. Everyone is uh, an enemy and all that. So they send Jeeves out after Bo uh, as he's running into the forest. He comes across this group of, you know, uh, play people, people who are very free and creative. And they put on plays. They're like a traveling, you know, Shakespearean company. Let's just call it like that. And this is where it gets very, very um, metaphorical, where the Bo- the play that Bo's watching transforms into an alternate life that Bo is manifesting that kind of like, this could have been my life if I became more of an individual and, and escaped the clutches of my mom. So Bo lives in a farm and he's building his own house and he meets a lady and they start having a family. But then like this terrible storm comes in and wipes the family away. And now Bo has to travel and traverse the world to reunite with his family. And Bo is watching all of this happening in his mind and in front of him, where in essence, he's seeing an older version of himself reunite with his sons who are there watching the play along with him, um, uh, or they're part of the play, and 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 you know, he, he, Bo, an older version of Bo, stands up and is like, "That's me. That's my life," you know. And he's reuniting with the sons, and of course, the sons are asking, "Well, where's mom?" And you know, and he's like, "I thought mom was with you." And during this whole time, Bo's also he confronts and comes across this person who says, "Oh, I know what happened to your dad." And like, wait a minute, are you my dad? And the minute that realization comes forward, his dad blows up. Because why? Because Jeeves shows up and starts, you know, wasting away everyone because he's trying to get toward to Bo and all that. So I, I felt like this was the part where Bo realized if I were to do my own thing, this could have been the life I would have had. And it's like him kind of realizing that. But then also, again, getting pulled back in, like, but that's not possible. I can't do that. And then, boom, he gets, you know, kind of stuck in a rut once again into his own world and, and all that. So, um, like, I don't know if you heard me go through yeah. all that, but yeah, yeah. what what is your take on that whole third part of the movie? So one thing worth noting is how um, the visual effects of that scene are taking place. Yeah. Where it's highly imaginative. Yep. Um, it's very fantasy like very not, animated yeah there's even a director who has that style where people just immediately are like oh it's like that director style I can't I can't recall it now um, but the there's like that's part of how that story is told and it mm. makes it kind of clear this is an imagining but if you want to take the text literally it's possible he literally met he is an old man and met his children there or mm-hmm. 
the same guy who has anxiety and manifests itself in these horrible things has a moment where his strong imagination imagines a whole nother life, like you're saying, and he's not actually an old man. Or when we see him later in the next uh, part, we're going to get at yeah. maybe he actually is an old man and looking back and recalling things. Maybe those things even in a way did happen in some right. roundabout way. Um, mm -hmm. he, if he's not able, the question is it's another one of those like, how could both be true if he's not able to have sex and hasn't and yet has three children what's going on there right the exactly. guy who's spying on him it turns out he thinks is his father he has these suspicions the other thing i think worth mentioning here there's the statue that he had bought earlier in part yes. one yes of a mother holding a child yeah we'll find out later in the next part we'll talk about is that mother has a statue same or similar but a big version outside of her home yep Mm -hmm. And also later in the home, we see a photo of her holding him as a baby. And it looks like it yep. might be that the statue is based off of that, essentially. Yep. Mm -hmm. What's creepy about that photo is, yeah, it's a mom holding a child. But the way her hands are like wrapped around his brain, and it looks like she has long fingernails, almost like mm -hmm. claws. Like if you were going to see an alien about to eat the brains of a baby, like yeah. that is the that is the moment and how it would be held and like her having literally like she's wrapped around he's his fingers whatever he's wrapped around yeah. um it, it's and, like it's like you know like in the, in the movie aliens the face hugger uh, like how yeah. that thing would like wrap around the head that's yep. literally how her hand looked like around his head yeah yes which is the the metaphor for like individuation and the parent like needing to let the child go yeah, clearly part of their dynamic, which they definitely need family therapy. Part of their dynamic, oh, totally. Is her difficulty letting go and his difficulty yeah. individuating, and how it was might be too late, um, and his anxieties from all that. But then at one point, he gives that little statue as a gift to another woman who is pregnant, and right. it seems like this might be a romantic relationship or a, a, a like at the very least, it is a fertile and lovely woman around his age that he has a nice connection. She's very sweet. And at some point she calls him love or darling, some term of mm -hmm. endearment. And now it's in a casual way in one interpretation, but maybe this is the, oh, this is who his wife is or would be or the stand in. And this is a pure love between a man and a woman that he hasn't known up yeah. until now. Um, yeah. So there's a lot happening in that scene. I think Is this the scene that dragged for you? Yes, this was the part, the part of the yeah. movie where... It, it dragged because again, you it's like you're going through a whole different movie at this point. It's it's like right. it's it, it felt like a movie for sure. Right. Exactly. Like Shakespearean then of like the play yeah. within the play. Right. I I kind of think of it as in a way the opposite of the play within the play within Hamlet. Instead of it being the oh, we're gonna show what happens if everyone dies on a stage to see how people react to certain things, we're almost mm -hmm. doing the opposite. We're saying, what if this dude had a new life and a right. beautiful story um, with much more humanity at the center of it. And what would that look like? And he's watching that and you're seeing how he responds to that. And it seems like he wants it so badly. He is oh, totally. and kissing his yeah. children. And it's clear his children are the most important thing in the world. And he just wants to protect them and take care of them. Similar mm -hmm. to how his own mother is later saying, I'm loving you the way my mother never loved me. He would double down on that again, yeah. of course, which is essentially the promise every parent makes to their own child. And then sure. sometimes they overcorrect, especially in the yeah. case of him and his mom. 
this is the what if you weren't fucked version of his life. Right. It's beautiful. Part of me wants a tight 90 minute to hour 45 minute version of this movie where it's just the bang bang boom like everything that's happening with action and journey from one place to another every time he's in a car going from one place like a propulsion version of this movie sure might to me be one of my all-time favorite films this one is it is an odyssey and i understand same with lord of the rings for me like it drags at parts where it's like Mm -hmm. okay now we're going to do a whole side quest just to get back to the main quest kind of thing yeah but this is part of his you know, whatever this fun house version of a hero's journey is that he's going through. I did like the artistry of it and how it contributed to the whole story of his life. Mm-hmm. I didn't love that it existed at all and kind of want that part three and part five to not exist and like part four to end at a certain point. I don't like playing the game of, oh, if the movie ended differently, I would have liked it. And now I didn't. I still loved this movie overall, but these are the parts that um, do a side story essentially. And definitely right. that is the moment where the guy who was snoring, that's the moment where he fell asleep <laughs> and fortunately was snoring in part four. Right. Right. Yeah. Which again, part four really picks you back up and really, really Ooh. like, like, like this is the meat of the movie right here, because I think yeah. it's safe to say that part four could also be split into two parts you know, where, you know, where we see the full extent of the problems that Bo has been experiencing, why he's so afraid, why he's so kind of sheltered or whatever the case is, and him coming to the realization of that, you know. So, and I, I do love the fact that you brought up the whole statue thing, because again, I noticed like as he's walking into the house, you see that statue, which is very much similar to exactly what he buys and to the point where so you know Bo goes to the funeral right and the funeral's already over so again another thing is just like oh I've made it all this way and I I just missed the funeral right like I'm not gonna hear the end of this and we're seeing the 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 house of the mom for the very first time we're seeing all the artifacts everywhere and, and we're now getting a sense like wait a minute like we get a sense of one how important she is and how, how what big of a deal she is. And then we're also getting a sense of, wow, Bo has been really like a major point of this lady's life in one way or another. And the one thing, yeah, like 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 a sick obsession to the point where, if you if you recall the spiral staircase where all the pictures are, those are moments from Bo's life, including him in his apartment on the phone when he was told that his mom died. And I believe there was also a picture of him in the other family's house as well, if I recall or not. So that's where the whole surveillance and control thing, I think, comes into play. What were we going to say, Mike? Sorry. Yeah, the buddy I went with, I I must have missed it. But apparently this is where you're seeing the blueprint of the building complex he lives in. And you were saying earlier about that and her logo is everywhere. Mm -hmm. This is where you're seeing the ads uh, for yep. her company and including an ADHD medication that yep. he seemed to be the test subject poster child yep. for, which one of the interpretations, I won't get into it later, uh, but my buddy's, one of his theories like, oh, he was just the test subject of his mom and that's why he's crazy. Is she Ooh. was just her, her little um, guinea pig. That's for her interesting. Yeah. And they're saying, wow, it was miraculous how successful she was. It was like, yeah, she literally had a human to test on. 
Oh, um, that's fascinating. And in some ways, all parent-child relationships are that, where they're just, I've heard parents literally say, it's like, yeah, you don't really know what you're doing. You're doing your best, and you're just kind of trying stuff out and hoping it works. Especially with the first one, especially with the first child, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's an ADHD medication. There's a shaving thing. It's like every stage of his life, at some point, in a way, he's the test subject of his mom. Now, maybe this is all metaphorical, kind of like the stuff we were just talking about. Sure. But... Um, an acne cream, a shaving razor, like you don't have to be afraid to shave um, kind of thing. Right, right. Um, and then at some point there is a, what looks to be a psychiatric drug. I'm not clear on what type of drug it is, but I think it was essentially, if you have anxiety, you should take this drug kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be curious, this is definitely a movie that is so fraught with clues. Mm -hmm. It might be one of those, that's the medicine that he's prescribed later by the, the therapist. There are definitely, even the directors talked about in the movie, the amount of things he jammed into each scene. Yeah. Um, he called it chicken fat, which is like a, a, a literary <laughs> or a, a criticism term um, from Mad Magazine. But the idea is essentially in a comic strip, there's sometimes you jam so much information into the background sure. yeah. that it's, maybe you know this term um, as a comic book fan, but you're, you're putting so much info there that it's, it's, it can be overwhelming, but it can have its own effect. The whole right. movie has this to where and the building, there's graffiti that if you read it, it has its messages. There's yep. signs on the door and the sign changes two or three times while he's there, including a sign that says, there's a brown recluse spider in the building. Be careful. <laughs> and that same place yeah. later has one that says, water is back on in the building. Right. Um, yeah. Just before I forget, since I mentioned the brown recluse, it's possible the guy above him in the bathtub who's hanging on, it's possible that is literally just a brown recluse spider and it's of his totally. imagination that makes him a yep. murderer with a knife or vice versa. Yeah. It's, there's, there could be a sign that says there's a guy hanging on and people's ceilings going <laughs> to jump down. We don't know, but it's probably uh, the brown recluse option. 100%, um, yeah. That's how I interpreted it. it. It's just like, again, it's 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 his fears manifesting, but in like the worst way possible. Right. So yeah. knowing that there's a brown recluse could be a guy who wants to murder him from his ceiling or whatever the case is. But the guy also looked very nervous too. Like he was sweating and all that. So it, it was, it could have been interpreted in so many different ways, but I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. So. Well, to get back to the mom and, and the, the, all this stuff that's in her house, cause they're all throughout, even the posters on the yeah. kid's wall. Um, it's possible the mom put a poster that said, be careful of the brown recluse spider. Sure. And one way to control someone is to instill fear in them. Yep. And some mothers use that as their control tactic. Don't go outside, honey. Don't, don't play out in the street or you'll get hit by a car or kidnapped mm -hmm. or like satanic panic stuff and child yep. abduction fears. And like, I have, I have a lot of fears personally. And like um, in religion growing up, it was, if you, his mom tells him, if you have sex, you will die. That is what happened mm -hmm. to your father and his father. Ours was like, if you have sex, you will get a disease that will kill you or you oh. will get pregnant. And like the risk was so yeah. high. It was like, don't not worth it. And literally it's a good way to get teenagers to not want to do it. If you're like, you sure. will die. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's, we won't get much deeper on all that stuff. Um, we, we could though, but that it essentially could just be a control tactic from the mom. There might not even be a brown recluse. He just sees the poster, <laughs> then sees the spider he sees the guy and then the spider actually shows up visually for us on the dude's face. Anyway, yeah. all that to say those visual clues are all throughout, but in the mom's house, it is very much. And, and I've heard folks like when they go back home and they see all the childhood photos, mm -hmm. and how that can be a yeah. trip. 
yeah this is where i who who i am this is where i'm from this is the story of my life is all condensed into this one location and that she essentially has a shrine or museum for her business her home who she is and and her son is and her son yeah and her control over him yeah no it, it was really really i guess if there was one thing like totally disturbing was seeing all that because again yeah. it's it's just one well, of those things where you start thinking about you know there are actually people like this who just yeah. have that full obsession with their kid or whatever oh, yeah. and you know full control over them by you know they have to listen to everything i say you have to do this and blah blah blah, blah. instill fear in them so that they will obey you and all that and i've seen it happen and it's so fascinating and just seeing all this manifest in a visual form in that way. One of um, Bo's reoccurring thoughts is the, the, the cruise that they went on, you know, like, and as uh, Bo is a teenager. And that's where he meets this girl that he fell in love with, yeah. uh, which is also, I, I also do truly believe that is another manifestation there in its own. But to hear the mom kind of coaching him, like, well, she seems like she is this and that, and she needs an equal. And all that. And I found it interesting that they shared the same bed, like they slept in the same bed together. I thought, and... there, was a, I thought there was a new sex scene with the mom and son at some point. I actually did something. too. I honestly he actually did too. At one point, and there are things where they're crossing lines and she's yeah. bathing him a little late in life. And like, yeah. there, but that the Oedipal stuff, there's definitely some of that happening here. Yeah. And there's, but it's basically, regardless of that, it's, the boundaries are being crossed, even if not physically or sexually. Right. But like there's, and there's some people who that same issue they have with their parent that's can become psychosexual later in life or it is yeah. earlier. And there's something weird about that too. Um, yeah. No, totally. Gracious. We and, don't, and, and, I'm glad and... they didn't lean into it though. Cause we don't see it, but it is implied enough that if you want to run with that thread, you know, at the very least they're making it very clear. Boundaries are crossed, even if it's yeah. just social boundaries. Yeah, and and that could very well be the point of Elaine, uh, who was played by Parker Posey, um, and is the girl that he meets on the cruise that basically confesses his love for him as she's being whisked away by her own mom. Um, Wait, is like, that the same girl? Yeah. How did I miss that? How oh, you didn't you realize know? that? The same character or something? The girl from the flashbacks is Parker Posey? Yes, so... If no. you remember, if you remember, Bo has a Polaroid. He has a Polaroid uh -huh. from that trip. Uh -huh. And if you look at the the dictation, the 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 written thing there, it says "Love Elaine." And so basically, Elaine is the girl that he met on the cruise, who later on shows up at mom, the mom's house as now the adult Parker Posey, played by Parker Posey, who we see a picture of in the mural of the mom's kind of like a uh, portrait, you know, how they do those portraits, all the individual photos of everyone. And these apparently were all of her employees. And Parker Posey was one of those photos. He, he even addresses at one point, it's like, you worked for my mom. And he said I quit a week ago, which I think would have been before she died, which there's, there's some reading into we could do there. Sure. Absolutely. But this was like, this was the person that, Bo has been in love with since that time they met on the cruise. As she was being whisked away by her own mom, she said, wait for me, Bo. I want you to wait for me, which he did. He said, "I," and he even confesses to like, I waited for you my whole life because you told me to. 
which and then she's like, "All right, let's get it on." So they go into the bedroom. This is the best scene of the movie, in which my is opinion. the yeah the most fantastic scene of the movie, where Bo is is about to finally have sex for the first time, and you know with the love of his life. I, I'm sorry, you wanted to say something. Just before we set it up, one thing she yeah. does is put on music. So I mean, this is where we'll do the quick yes. aside about music yes. in this movie. Yeah, this is an masterful director because yeah earlier when he's going through the mom's home they're playing uh, even in the trailer there's a song which i'll leave that one off for now but in the trailer there's a song that you can look at the lyrics and it's pretty clear what it's getting at after you've seen the movie um the, when he's going through the mom's house the song that's playing is everything i own um and it's saying i ain't gonna cry i won't beg you to stay if you're determined to leave boy i will not stand in your way but in that Wait, hold on. Is this? Um, I might have accidentally pasted the wrong song at the wrong place. Is that the Mariah <laughs> Carey song? Because that's what I'm I think. That's, uh, that's the Mariah Carey song. I think that yeah. is so funny. Um, basically, it's the "Everything I Own" lyrics are: "We're going through her house and everything that she owns in that house and her possessions." Um, but in this case, uh, it's getting at here we go you sheltered me from harm you kept me warm you gave my life to me set me free the finest years i ever knew were all the years i had with you and i would give anything i own i'd give up my life my heart my home i would give everything i own just to have you back again um by the band bread we're also getting a nina simone song um Mm -hmm. which i won't keep doing a ton of resuscitation but she's saying isn't it a pity now isn't it a shame how we break each other's hearts and cause each other pain and that like back and forth love song kind of thing um, being about the push pull love hate relationship with his mom and she wants to control him and he can't let go thing. Yeah. The then one of the best moments in the movie, she's putting on music <laughs> and uh, mood music. She has to set the mood. Right. And this is always be my baby. Yep. Brilliant. Um, well, all, the, the the lyrics, if you don't know the song, you know this. Everyone knows this song. It's Mariah, it's Mariah Carey. It's like song. her number one hit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, I ain't going to cry. I won't beg you to stay. If you determine to leave, I will not stand in your way. But inevitably, you'll be back again because you know in your heart, babe, our love will never end. You'll always be my baby. Um, including, I'm part of you indefinitely. Boy, don't you know you can't escape me. Then they're getting naked. And he's apparently very virile and yes. he's been waiting his whole life to make yes. love. And the yes. woman of his dreams and his flashbacks is there naked next to him. And she's being yes. real cool about it. You don't have anything to worry about. We're going to do this. Yeah. And yeah. And basically they get it on. And again, this is him going into it with the fear that if I do this, I may die because I was told I'm going to. He knows he's going to die. He, yeah. And he's kind of like, manifesting it and like having a psychosomatic and I, he's grabbing his heart and I'm like, Oh, is this dude like going full psychosomatic debt? Like, is this how the yeah. movie ends? He is here, but he's grabbing his heart because of this pounding fear in his head. Right. I think he believes that he'll die. And I even think he feels himself starting to die, which as an anxiety person, that's kind of what a panic attack sure. looks and feels like. Oh, totally. Sort of yeah. I think you're dying. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes when someone like just, uh, I had a buddy who was like, yeah, I thought I was having a heart attack, that I was having a seizure, wasn't sure. Turns out, just panic attack was my first panic one. Didn't know what that, was yeah. about. that dude is having that same experience, which it's funny that panic attacks look a lot like heart attacks in that way, and that's essentially what she's saying will happen. Totally. It's, it's happening while they're going, 
and uh, he's getting the job done, or she is at least, nonetheless. Yeah, and you know they finish. Do-do-do-do. He finishes first, and he's like, oh, "I didn't die." And of course, he's like in this euphoric state at this point, where he's just like, "I didn't die. Like I'm okay." Saying, Thank you. Thank you. He's like yeah. crying, like the best first orgasm with another person at least ever and i didn't die and now all his relief this poor boy has been so stressed about this possibility Mm -hmm. his whole life and the relief washes over him and it's in his face and walking phoenix is acting his ass off oh yeah so emotional which who hasn't had that experience so 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 emotional and then only to see look up and see Oh shit, Parker Posey's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Not only dead, but she's like in a frozen state, you know, which which Rick also Mortis. Uh, Rick Morris and it, while touching herself because she well, was when she climaxed because she was like, <laughs> okay, you're in there, you're still virile, I guess. You've been waiting for this a moment. Yeah, which is hilarious too because this also led into probably one of the most comedic points because he just like freezes. And he like like pushes her off and like kind of cowers into the side of the bed. Only that's to it. now hear his mom in the doorway say, oh, that's it? That's that's all you basically are gonna do? That's all you've been waiting for. So we find out that his mom is not dead at this point. Which he admits later on that he knew she wasn't dead because when he saw the body in the casket. He noticed the birthmark on the hand belonged to their servant, their their housekeeper, who has been loyal to her this whole time. So in essence, I felt like this was a multitude of, this is the mom's final test to Bo. How loyal are you going to be to me or not? You know, like this was, like Bo has been faced with challenges and all that. Her, Him giving himself to Elaine, the Parker Posey character, was like the final test there as you know like the song says it itself right you could choose to leave if you want you know but you'll always be mine no matter what and he chose to leave at that point that was like his euphoric moment because he he went against what his mom was always saying the whole time it's like if you have sex you're gonna die he didn't die but yet the world around him crumbled after that and that was like the big manifestation and kind of the, the last straw, so to speak. And that's when we get to see the infamous and great Patti Lapone mm. and her fantastic performance where she took the next 10 to 15 minutes berating him left and right, calling him like every little thing, little miscreant thing that, to belittle a person. We also find out that she hired the, the, the psychiatrist that he's been seeing this whole time and they were in cahoots. She listens in on all of his sessions and, and all that using all of the stuff that he he said against her against her like to against him and and all while the help is is carrying this rigamortis body of Parker Posey out the door into some storage facility or whatever the case is but yeah we we get to this is where we finally get to understand full on the full control that this woman had on on Bo's life and how Bo is now faced with the reality that this is my life. This is what this is kind of like where I've been this whole time. This is what I've been dealing with. And hearing it replayed to him in the verbal lashing that he's getting from his mom was so heart wrenching. It was just so painful. Like I felt his pain 
and you feel and then you see him like trying to grovel and be like i'm sorry mom i'm sorry like blah, blah, this and that you know to the point where it, it gets to the point where he just can't take it anymore and he he threatens his mom by trying to choke her which also was a great brilliant scene portrayed by both because you see Joaquin Phoenix in a very devilish state. Like his face turned into like this, like, I hate you. I hate this life you created for me and I want you dead. And then you see her just kind of like in shock. Right? I can't believe you're actually doing this to me and all that. And then I love her little like fall and tumble through the coffee table thing, like the glass coffee table, which was like brilliant and all that. And one thing to to note as this part of this part one of this last part plays out, he's walking outside of the house. His face is in a rigor mortis kind of state of shock. Oh shit! Good call. Okay. You know, yeah, that's the part where the buddy said that he deserves an Oscar. Yeah, I didn't put that together. And you're you're comparing that to the Parker Posey moment, right? Yes. Like, yes. The, the quick aside I'll do is one, the mom mentions you did it in your mother's bed. Yes, really, yes, yeah. Which yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> but also I'm thinking about this and the director talked about how books really influenced this movie more than movies did and mm. admitted that movies influenced it for sure. But yeah. I'm thinking back on a biblical story that is essentially like an archetypal like story a, a metaphor a parable but it's told literally in the bible that basically uh, a woman was told not to look back at the evil cities where the sin was happening mm-hmm. very sexual bottom and gomorrah place and when lot's wife did look back she was turned into salt and the way it's portrayed visually anyway is like frozen and then becomes salt and that was yeah. her punishment for disobeying and in this case it's crazy because and I'm, I'm wondering if there, I'm sure there are other like, like um, Medusa and turning people to stone, something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are other ones, but that's the one that comes to mind with my background where a sexual sinful place you're, you finally engage with it when you're told not to. And it's a punishment of mm. being frozen. Then <laughs> you're right. His face afterward. Oh after. my God. It was amazing. That that's one of those I got chills like it fucked me up and all yeah. it is is face acting. That's it, that's it. And and so good. And him and Patty Lupone both with their huge dick, big oh, dick acting. My God, it was just so good. What a face off. Yeah. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because again, like, and you could have easily missed it too. You know, like if you didn't like really watch him. He's small but, on the screen. And the it was very song. small, but and then there was a brief, brief light that passed through it, and you saw the face like just stuck in this like state of shock, Ugh. like like oh my god, Ugh. yeah, it was just so so well done. And this is also that that back and forth between the mom and him was also the moment where he meant she mentions the statue. She said, "You had the statue and you gave it away," you know, because that was like kind of the moment where it was just like. Like her saying, "You gave my love away. You gave you gave me away for somebody else." Like that. And, There's a metaphor there yeah. too, with like killing off a parent, and yeah. when you find love or meet someone else, and that's right. it's essentially kind of like an Oedipal type territory. I don't I don't remember what the story is, but basically, like you kill you have a relationship with one parent, and then you kill them off and create your own new family. And there is a right. social death at the very least, and like. Yeah. 
you are no longer in their will. You now have your own legal documents with this other person kind of thing going on there. And it's happening with the statue and giving it to that fertile woman. And then it's also happening. Yeah. Fucking Parker Posey. In, That's in, it. In the mom's bed. <laughs> the ultimate betrayal. Yeah. Is loving another woman. Oh, my God. Now, re- remind me, the moment we get to see the attic, was this this part or was it the next part? So he is having the panic either right before or right after the mom is berating him. I okay. think it is during her monologue. It is like it a is. quick, okay. she's doing her monologue and she's going, oh, you want to know what's in the attic? She's telling him. Right, right. And shows him. Right. She's playing back audio from their therapy. Yeah. And he's talking about the dream. And this might be in the audio or it might be a, a, in the conversation they're having. But he's talking about like my brother getting him locked up. And there is no brother. My understanding is the canon of this text is there's only one child. Right. The one son, Bo. Um, if there is a little inter- literal interpretation, my understanding is that's it. And she goes, oh, do you want me to show you? And we recreate the scene from earlier, including how she opens the attic yep. door, where the camera is at. She's mm-hmm. now doing it. Same woman, different body, older woman. And... Um, and then he goes up into the attic and shit gets weird. And we got to talk about what happened in the attic. Right? Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. We're going to do that right now. Yeah. I think right now that's why I brought it up because I think this plays very, very important to this part of the story that we, we are now in where essentially we get to see this infamous attic that he keeps flashing back to in his dream or nightmare, however you want to call it. And you know, he brings it up to his mom, and this was a uh, uh, the part where, like you said, she brings him up there, tricks him because he's afraid. He doesn't want to go up in the attic. He's like, "No, I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you. Go, go, go!" And I'm like, "You little shit!" Blah, 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 blah. Now you're stuck there, right? And she says to him, uh, "He's saying that that was a recurring dream." And he told his therapist right. about that at the beginning of the movie, and she says, "You idiot! Something that that wasn't a dream. That was a memory." Exactly. Yeah, it was a memory, right? Um, and. What we see in this attic essentially are two major things. One, we see what looks to be a shackled bow who has looks like he's been stuck in there for his entire life. Overgrown hair, nasty, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get to see the penis monster, which was something I was not expecting. Not and, at all. Yeah, it was this grotesque, overly grown with huge ass balls, penis monster. You, you know, see, it was grotesque. It was grotesque. Hey, I like what you did there. Yes. Um, and of course he's freaked out. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. And then Jeeves, our buddy Jeeves, breaks into the attic, busts through the window, and goes to town. At this penis monster stabbing in the balls and all that kind of stuff like that, only to get killed by this monster who has apparently like these crab like claws or whatever and, and kind of pierces his head and all that. So if you wanted to know what the most like horror horror esque part of the movie was, this was probably it, right? Um, where you see like a monster Unless you're and, into uh, it. Don't kink oh, well, you know, yeah, good. No, I'm the, I'm just saying for those who are, who are not. Now, this could be this whole scene could be interpreted in many, many different ways. I do kind of like what your friend said about, well, what if this was really if Bo was a, the subject of the mom 
you know, kind of like the the guinea pig of all of her products and the medication and all that. And that's why he's shackled up there because she needs him for testing purposes. And what if the penis is a side effect of all the testing where if you remember when he was with Nathan Lane, he said, oh, yeah, you said about that, you're right. right? You, he said that, oh, you're gonna you're healing up fine and all that, but you know I did notice there was something up with your balls, and you know maybe we should do a sonogram or and all that kind of stuff like that because they look to be really hanging, and all Thank that, sending something like that. There was some right, for it. yeah. And then when he was having sex with Parker Posey, it it flashes really quick, but I paid attention. Yeah, yeah, you're you right. You see, his balls were hugely enlarged during those mm-hmm. moments, and now we're seeing this giant penis monster in the attic with gigantic balls. So could this be the side effect of all this medication that uh, Bo has been undertaking and all that? Now, again, if this is going off of the theory that your friend had, right? Yeah, that, but also there's the way in which the phallus is uh, one of the most popular metaphors in the history of human sure. beings where you look up in any big city and there's a giant phallus staring back. Absolutely. At you masculine power and... yeah. Um, territory and staking claim yeah. and pissing contests and all that shit. Yeah. The one where it's possible that's a metaphor just representing his own individual freedom yeah. as her son. Yeah. And that that thing has been locked away in the attic also. Like yeah. literally I've, I've heard, um, I've heard it from uh, like a woman might say like, Oh, I have his penis in a glass cage or something yep. like that. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could say I got him by the balls. These are literal idioms that we use uh, and expressions we use to describe what is literally being shown mm-hmm. in the attic. I'm glad you mentioned it and and brought it back to that. This is why it's nice to have these combos with friends. It's my, my <laughs> buddy, you do something that, which then led me back to, and now yeah. I'm putting it together because I was bothered by that. And it reminded me of another movie we could do a comparison with is Men, when at the end of Men, oh, yes. grotesque and freaky and unrealistic happens, but it's a metaphor. And yes. I enjoy that, but this one was so on the nose and absurd and ridiculous, but now I'm seeing it's not really. The There's another thing where an interpretation that that's his father, because at some point she's saying, and I don't remember the wording because it would have to be precise to really get a good interpretation off of this, but essentially yeah. like that is what I had to do to create you is like have mm. sex with that thing. Mm-hmm. And the the plot description from a good source I just read is saying it is his father literally manifested oh. as penis, essentially. Like we got a job of the hut looking ass thing. And now maybe <laughs> he is seeing that. Yeah. Maybe but also the, there's a version where we can get to the one where her relationship with masculinity and and emasculating her son to, to yeah. use a gendered language. Um possible that there's something like i i don't know i don't know how i would say this is exactly what that penis meant but that's the thing that bothered me the most and we're pretty damn close to possible interpretations which is kind of what this movie leaves you with is what's it saying about the character's relationship to their Mm -hmm. own um like dominance individualism, mm-hmm. territory, what they own and what they don't own, what the ability to stake their own claim, etc. Could that be his actual father manifest as a penis or actually as if it was just a dick? Like in theory, another th- option I had was like she cut off the father's penis and it's just like oh. 
um, like a science experiment, like grown out of control up sure. there. Like we're kind yeah. of in um, a, what's it called? Little shop of horrors. Yeah. 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 For and sure. Yeah. There's a whole sexual <laughs> metaphor happening with that movie that might be yeah. um, inspiring this scene, which I need to do yeah. a little more digging on like what those things meant, but that, that's a, that's a fun one for um, this type of like grotesque monster. That's actually talking about innocence. Um, yeah. And, so, and that character, Watch this just be a fucking adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's just his version of Little Shop of Horrors and all that. Yeah. But there is a possibility that it is in, in there's that one version I just laid out where it's just a science experiment of a giant penis. And that's how she created Bo. There's one where it's literally his father. There's one where it's literally his father, but it's manifest as balls. There's the one where it's like a metaphor of him being chained up and his balls being chained up, et cetera. But at least now we're in the territory I'm comfortable with again, where these are metaphors and literary devices uh, uh, being used to help analogize what's happening in the relationship with Bo and his mom. Yeah, yeah, and the way I if I interpreted it as I watched the movie, uh, like as I was like going home and all that was, and you already said it. It was her emasculating him since he was a kid. You know, kind of like claiming ownership of his manhood, claiming ownership of full control of his defiance against her you know that's kind of like why he had that reoccurring bath dream um and then he saw it himself like this person who he spoke to his therapist of being his brother was locked in the attic you know and she what she says afterwards too is like you'll never see him again like that which is kind of like yeah. telling Bo, you're never going to ever see the side of you again as far as yeah. i have a say you know and basically it's like your your manhood and all that stuff was kind of just locked away and kept in the attic this whole time and this was his attempt to try to get out of it, you know, and that's why you had Jeeves, the crazy ex-military guy, you know, be that vessel to try to take him out, you know. But again, he just can't seem to break free cleanly. And I think that's what eventually leads into this last part, part two of this final part, this final act, where all of a sudden it becomes like a Truman Show-esque trial, where he's, well, he's trying to escape. Also, Truman Show reference there too. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Where he's on a boat trying to escape the house and try to like flee, and then he gets stuck. Again, it's always Bo getting stuck, and then he comes to realize that he is on trial amongst people, where his mom is there, basically with a lawyer played by the great Richard Kind, who is just so good in this small part. But again, berating uh, Bo about everything that he took for granted, everything that he defied against his mom, when all his mom was just trying to do was make him live a great life and da-da-da, and all she needed was love and loyalty. And then he has his own defense lawyer who's just not doing a great job. He's like trying to fight back and he eventually just gets pushed over the edge and dies a horrific death, which was was very much uh, an homage to Midsommar. And then when you watch it, you'll, you'll understand why that was. Thank you. Okay, good to know. Um, but then Bo was left defenseless and he could not, he could no. he, I think he, this is the point where he finds that he can no longer fight back, that he's now, all he can do is suck it up, accept that this is his reality, no matter how much he now hates it and now realizes it, that it gets to the point where he combusts. And that's basically how the movie ends with like a huge explosion. And he kind of just... The the boat flips. It flips, so but I you see it. You see him kind of just 
Yeah, you just see him like kind of like blow up and disappear while the, so the boat engine kind of, of the on. boat is malfunctioning. It's catching sure. fire and it explodes. You're mm-hmm. telling me that if we went frame for frame, we would actually see his body explode. I think so. Well, well, I not to happened. not the sense of like wrong, I didn't get that. Not the sense of like fiery explosion, but to the sense where you know it it like combusts to the point where he just like you don't you no longer see him there. Gotcha. You know, where he, he could have been flown the, away the, or whatever like that. I I got it, and this is where it tripped me up. And your explanation actually makes more sense. But what I saw was the thing explodes and the boat flips, and it flips so quickly he is now underwater. Because I mm. think he is still glued to feet glued to the boat. Because we're seeing the boat. Um, sure. What's the word for when someone's like struggling under the water, and then it's you're hearing it in a muffled underwater way, like like get right? me it's out. Oh, you're right. It stops moving. Yeah, I know yet. that. Now maybe like some version of both of these things is true because mm-hmm. the physics of it didn't quite make sense either. The thing explodes. The boat literally just flips over so quickly. I couldn't see his body anymore. Yeah, I was just like, oh, did I? Did they just do a bad job on the CGI? There's a lot <laughs> of CGI, and apparently the entire thing was CGI. Yeah, um, I'm sure the actors' faces, whatever, are real, but apparently everything else. So something's going on there. There was some talk of how they had to rush. Uh, the the CGI was so difficult; it was one of the most difficult parts of the movie, etc. So mm. at some point, you kind of go like, okay, that's good enough. That's kind of what we're getting at, and maybe yeah. there's another metaphor where if we went screen. It, He's actually catching on fire because his rage takes him over, and that's why the boat flips. I honestly don't know. We're in such deep metaphor territory, and it's kind of why I'm okay with the ending of Men. Is yeah. like really whatever it is isn't necessarily happening. So if the physics don't make total sense, I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah. I. I again, it could have been. You could have. Been, you could be right because I do remember hearing him trying to yell out from, and the way I took it was that he was yelling from space or from this oh, okay. other plane you know where i think the 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 manifestation of him on the boat was kind of like his soul and he kind of just gave up you know where now he's like you know his soul kind of is now in the ether still trying to call out help me get me out of here you know save me but there's no saving him anymore because he yeah. there's no way he can escape and hmm. he kind of just gave in and the rage was like the the fire and the boat like kind of just like you know, the more and more he's being berated, blah, 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 this and that, like you're worthless, you're nothing, da da da, and that's just how basically earlier that rage led him to choking his mom, and this time it right. literally led to his own death. Which that's a thing that happens. People stress gets to them, and it can literally kill you. Right, um, and absolutely. Sometimes be caused by another person. Yeah. Now, now the question is: Is he in real life? Is he really dead, or is this the death of just his? his soul and his attempt to be free of himself. You know, I feel like that's a, a way to interpret it as well. Yeah. It's also in theory, it can be a Phoenix situation where if this is highly metaphorical, this is the mm-hmm. moment where he realizes I have to kill off this version of my life. I know I, I now know I will never please my mother, no matter yeah. how hard I try to make it back to her funeral, which she faked and had someone killed. The story <laughs> was like the woman who helped raise him is the one yeah. who's dead. Like there's a whole thing there. Uh, who agreed to it right like 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 according to the mom she totally agreed to it and all that so much so that her family now never has to work again because i made sure they were all compensated she said (laughs) it was absolutely worth it because now i know what kind of the truth i know the truth 
who was literally tucking him in in bed at night in the flashback. Yeah. We don't see much from that character, but that's his maternal character. So it's possible what's actually happening. And I, at the end of the day, I'm not going to give anyone a, this is what happened. Trust me, you're wrong. No. I'm not going to no. that. But the way I'm going to look at it for, uh, as an option is this is where he essentially transcends this problem. And if, if he's actually in the attic, then the boat doesn't even happen. And the penis may or may not be real. And is he even in that other part of town? Or is that just like in, in his imagination? Or did his mom create that? Or does her logo just happen to be there and she has a blueprint of it? And are those spies or all these are options? Yes and no. But one option for the ending is that he's not dead, that he literally kills off this problem and Mm -hmm. essentially transforms, which sometimes when you cut somebody off like that, it can have that effect in your life where you literally say, I'm done with this person. I'm starting over. I'm going to be my own person now. And it's possible that, uh, Bo is afraid to Boer than ever is going to be a movie about a dude just living out his fucking sweet life in Cleveland and just got a job for the USPS and is kissing uh, his wife every day and raising his three boys. Yeah. The sequel is going to be, you will always bow my baby. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, that was actually clever. Uh, but yeah, that is, I mean, my gosh, what a movie. I mean, the fact that, we uh pontificated how do you say pontificated this long for like over two hours and and still there's so many things you can still interpret from this movie and all that i mean before we go into what we gave our final rating on the movie was on letterbox and all that what do you have any like final thoughts or things that you want to mention about the movie as a whole um i'm just gonna throw out a few things real quick when i'm looking at literary um, archetypes and psychology shit to interpret this movie. There are so many things, and you're right. It is so dense. I have other things on my list I'm just going to let go because mm-hmm. what you could do is frame by frame, essentially, this movie and say, is that thing this? Is it that? What else could it mean? And like the the um, chicken fat concept, like the images, the screen is so loaded with things that you can look at the poster and go like, uh, similar to the movie Get Out, where people were just Easter egging the hell out of it. Like, yeah. oh, the yep. cereal was actually a reference to this. Yep. And this apartment number is a reference to this bill that passed Congress in the 1800s. And like, that's one thing I really like about some auteurs is you as much work as you want to put into it, you could probably get shit out of this movie. Um, yep. The things I'll mention are like um, Ship of Theseus. The psychology concept of super ego, ego and id. There's the story of Job from the Bible where he's essentially being tested on loyalty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's a fun one for which explains why Bo's had the worst 72 hours in history. <laughs> Seriously. Um, there's one where and I, I, I this one I don't give much weight, but I do think it's it's just like super ego, ego and id. Basically, everything can be interpreted in these different ways with different moments or parts. But on the politics of it, there's a world where his mother is fascist. The state of nature is, sorry, his apartment building is anarchy. The other family is um, basically like there's different like types of governments and like ways um, that you can see, like look at the world through leaders and figures etc so you could like if somebody wants to they could just be like oh this is what it's saying about politics and Mm -hmm. types of government or whatever um 
which basically any movie can kind of be looked at in these ways. But this one is so highly metaphorical. That's the level we're getting to. And the last thing I'll mention is during the early part one that you went through earlier, I was thinking this is a COVID movie. This is a movie about someone who's spending too much time, all their worst fears and living alone. Yeah. Did you remember early on, depending on who you are, what city you're in, but there's this thing where you are afraid to go outside because of oh, yeah. the zombie apocalypse. And for some people that fear was real. And there were even stories of, yeah, a few blocks down, there's piles of people waiting outside the hospital and some of them are dead type shit. Like yeah. the one where you're afraid of everything and agoraphobic, like Bo is and can't leave the house. Like I was thinking this is a movie that this dude is writing during COVID. And this might be another one, which we've had a few we've reviewed of, mm -hmm. oh, this is a metaphor of that time. Or this is because the person had a lot of time to their thoughts and Steven Spielberg writing about his childhood and shit. This, that's another just fully option, uh, a, a, an available option for at least part one of the story and that level yeah. of anxiety, et cetera. I wouldn't be surprised if our anxiety filmmakers, the Lanthimoses, the Safties, the Ari Asters are like able to just like get their best workout after spending way too much time in their heads at home. Um, yeah. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm so glad you challenged me to watch this movie. I would put it off. I would have been too, too scared. And I, and what Blake was afraid. Yes, but no, I didn't have to be afraid. Just popped a clonopin and had a great time. <laughs> I, it, it's funny. Uh, this morning I read, uh, an article where they were interviewing uh, Joaquin Phoenix about this movie. And he said he begs everyone to not watch this movie under the influence of mushrooms. He's like, do not. <laughs> He's like whatever you do, do not watch this movie under mushrooms. Yeah, probably. Probably. Like he made the wrong choice. Ever. He's yeah. that advice. With the amount of conviction or somebody like, trust me. Do yeah. not. I almost like, didn't it. It was even like, true because I was on the screen. I wasn't even in this movie, man. <laughs> like, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Yeah, uh, I but yeah. But uh, but everything you said is basically what I also mentioned in my letterbox review, where I said this is a movie where you're going to see all the YouTubers out there, the film geeks like you and I, doing video essays, doing explained videos, just like talking about all their theories and all the meanings behind this movie. And the more you get into Ari Aster, the more you're going to see people have done this with all of his movies. Like That's if good. you look at uh -huh. all the videos for Midsommar, all the videos for Hereditary, it's ridiculous the amount of movies they've made, um, the uh, videos they made about that because he is that type of director. But I also agree with what you said. This is definitely a product of COVID where... We're seeing a lot of interesting stuff coming out of these creators because of the the two to three years people had to spend at home um, with themselves and, and their their creativity and their writing and, and kind of their own anxieties and all that. And I we're definitely seeing a lot of that coming out. And this by far, so far, is definitely one of the more unique uh, things to come out of it all. Um, but as we close things out, uh, so what did you rate this on Letterboxd for you? It was at a five last night. At some point, we we're talking. I was remembering the forest scene and the CGI at the end. I, I dropped it to four point five. Mm -hmm. I'm not. It was really when we we're talking about like what the type version of this movie would be. Yeah. That said, it's already in my list of top 150 movies, and it might like it, it might be um, an upper echelon of those. Right now, I'm going to say um, five 
4, 4.5, but for now it's basically as, as high of a rating as you can get because of the level of artistry and how mm-hmm. effective it was. Nice, very you? nice. So for myself, it was, it's interesting. So as I got home, I I actually gave it a three. Yeah, but I you know how you could say you liked it? Like I, I, I did say I liked it. Because okay. I, I guess what I was doing was that I was comparing it to his other movies and mm-hmm. kind of like how those other movies have affected me. Mm-hmm. However, as we're going through this right now, as we're recording this, I literally just changed it to a four. Hey, because, okay. Yeah, because okay. the more the more I was able to talk through it yeah. and think more about it, for all I know, the rating could change again the more I think about it a week from now. Because it's one of those things you have to sit with it. You have to sit with it and you have to kind of it's go through stranger. it. Yeah. And it's it, it, in a theater with only two other people and to not have mm-hmm. a buddy afterward, that's a game changer. For me, I would have oh, been yeah. glimped afterward at the very least, but maybe too perplexed. So I'm glad I had that and I'm glad we're doing this. That would be yeah. an advice to someone if they're going to go see it is like, have, have your little coffee date ready for afterward to talk about it. Absolutely. I'm doing it in a couple hours. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. I'm glad we we're able to talk. I'm glad I was finally able to introduce you to the world of Ari Aster. And I, again, this was the perfect movie to do it. And it's almost as if he knew. He's like, you know what? There's this guy out there, Blake Wolf. He hasn't watched any of my movies yet, but I know he'll like them. Why don't I make this movie for him so he could go watch it? And boy, did he ever. Um, but at the end of the day, we are always curious as to what all of you think out there. I hope you were commenting along the way as you're watching this two hour and 24 minute now recording of our discussion of this movie, Bo is Afraid. We'd love to know, is this a movie that you enjoyed? Is this a movie that maybe you're on the fence about after watching, but maybe listening to us talk through it? the more you appreciate what you saw, or is this a movie that maybe you had no interest in, decided to hear us talk about it, and now you're like, you know what? I actually want to go watch this movie. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and all that. If this is a movie you hated and you still endured over two hours of hearing us talk about it, we want to know, wow, how did you do that? And why did you not like the movie? We definitely would love to hear all of your thoughts and comments. At the end of the day, it's all about the discussions the talks that we could have about movies like this that really make us love what we do and love sharing our opinions and passions with all of you out there in this great community. So with that being said, that ends our episode of movie time. Uh, Sorry to see it end like this for now, but I mean, this was just a great conversation overall, and I'm sure we're going to have more fun conversations moving on as we progress through this year of movies. Stay tuned next week. We're doing something fun next week. Um, I, I, I actually, this is going to be a surprise for you, Blake. So we are about to hit summer movie season. I say, let's, let's create a game out of it. We're going to do our, we're going to, this is going to be our first year doing it. We're going to make this an annual thing where it's going to be our 2023 summer, uh, blockbuster box office draft. Summer box office blockbuster draft. I'm really, uh, that's a good idea. I like it. I, that's yeah. where I felt like we were going with me. Talking about making a game. Hell yeah. Movies. So we're going to take the all, we're going to take the pool of summer movies that are coming out in the summer and we're going to have a draft. Blake is going to get to pick 10. I'm going to get to pick 10. And we're going to see when the summer ends who has the highest box office numbers as box far office. as. 
there yes, even letter sir. What the hell? No, 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 no. <laughs> We're doing it. Box office, four, baby. baby. <laughs> well, we could make that like a side game too. Just see, like, okay, now, now, how did this rate towards Letterbox and all that? But no, the number one thing you have to approach it with is what's going to get the most out of the box office dollars there for the summer. So again, it's summer block block uh, blockbusters, right? Now, what we could do is as we approach uh, Oscar season, we can do a similar game. But you know, what's going to get the more buzz as far as like Oscar? talk and, and contention and all that but we could talk about that another time so if you're interested in hearing us play this game definitely tune in to next week's episode but as we close things out for today blake where can people find you on the interwebs i'm on the letterboxed website with the screen name last name wolf common spelling on all words last name wolf very where nice you will and you give four and a half and then maybe five later then i might drop it back down maybe i'll move it around <laughs> a little bit I think about this movie more and have deeper combos about it. Hey, it's still fresh in our minds, so things are allowed to change for sure. But uh, as for myself, you could also find me on Letterboxd. You could see the uh, tag name on the screen in front of you. And just like with Blake, definitely do follow Blake. I love his Letterboxd. He has some great lists there for sure to check out. And for everything else that is Loki Geek, you see all the tags on the front of you on the screen, Twitter, Instagram, most importantly here on Facebook. Again, if you haven't done so yet, Please make sure hit that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell to get notified every time a new video is posted. Uh, Loki Geek can be found on your podcast platform of choice. Just type in Loki Geek there where you can find this episode and many others to download and listen to on the go. And last but not least, once more time, if you are in a position to help further support and help this channel grow, check out our affiliates found in the description where you can find something cool, hopefully for yourself or for a loved one. And by doing so, you will be helping support this channel at no additional cost to you. And again, we thank you for all that. So with all that out of the way, this is it for us this week. This has been Movie Time. I've been Renee. That's been Blake. This has been Movie Time, like I said before. Stay cool, stay classy, stay safe. And we will catch you all in the next one. Peace out, y'all. <laughs>